We have a chance to really say something different that no one's ever said before. You're in for an evening of great conversation. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Rick Nair. This is a program started by people of color reaching across the board, talking to people, and starting Latino thought makers. Because what this is, is our community meeting. Mainstream media thinks that we're all one person, and we're not. We're very diverse, and we come in all shapes and colors and all ideas, and we each have a brain of our own. Latino thought makers are important because it's a live setting. And you can see the process that they went through to arrive at the creation of their art, and now they're imparting that to you. And it's an, it's an empowering thing. This is our Latino living room, basically. And in this living room, we're all friends and family, and we're going to have a discussion tonight. And I want to show Latinos that we are always the solution, we are never the problem. Unless we experience each other's journey, we will never know how to truly love and respect each other. And a lot of times you see us in the media, we're portrayed in one way, but I know who how we are. And we should recognize what Latinos have done for this community and for all America. Latino thought makers, get inspired. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, folks. This is Carlos Phoenix, and I am here representing the Georgia Latina Film Festival and the Lounge Network. And I am with uh, today a special guest uh, coming straight from California, from L.A. His name is Rick Nahara. And, uh, Rick, I'm just going to put you on camera and, and say hello to everybody. Hi, man. Where is this? Carlos, how are you? Hello, everybody in America and the world and all places in galaxies not even discovered. This is going out to all the people. I'm trying to speak as serious as possible with this feeling of a speech, if almost presidential, if you will. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so um, uh, Rick is a comedian, a writer. Um, I would almost call him a poet, uh, playwright, producer, director. He's basically, he's a, I'm a award winner. Uh, I can go on and on and on. Is there anything I missed? Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's a really good intro. I I feel humbled by it. Of course, uh, I worked really hard, and uh, I I I I'm happy to have it. Thank you. It's nice, Carlos. It was really sweet of you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you did all the work, so um, I'm just pointing. I out. did all the work, Carlos, and I want you to remember that. <laughs> exactly. It's like you coming up in this business, just nipping at my heels. Well, um, so uh, I also mentioned comedian. I think um, so. That's. Uh, uh, the gist of what's coming out right now. I, I do comedy for my wife all the time, and she doesn't laugh. It's sad. So she, she Oh, I, I have the same problem here at home. <laughs> you only have the same problem. I don't get any no. laughter except when I, like, I'm in a store or... I'm, in, I'm the same way. One of my kids, I'll tell them jokes, and they'll... Like, I'll tell them a bedtime story, and I'll be really sweet, and I'll talk to them. 
and they'll get upset and I'll go, hey, people pay a lot of money for that same story. And I storm out of the room. I don't know if that's bad parenting. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but uh, it, um, you should hear my bedtime stories. They're pretty bad. Well, okay, so let's let's start with that. Um, so let, let's start with your youth, since, since you brought it up. Uh, tell my me about youth? you. What was it like growing up? Growing up a small, small Mexican child among a lot of large Mexicans around me, of course, uh, you're fighting for the food all the time. Um, you're waking up in the morning. The banditos are invading your village. It's always tough. Uh, no, it was, uh, I grew up in La Mesa, which was actually what they do is they named, I grew up in La Mesa next to El Cajon, which means the box near Chula Vista, which means the pretty view. And, uh, which the Spanish missionaries really didn't name anything really well. Just really simple things like El Cajon, the <laughs> box, the La Mesa, the table. So I grew up there 15 miles from the border. And so, uh, uh, I was close to the border, so I grew up in the whole world, and I, I grew up on a border. So I think it helped make who I am. I realized that bridges are more important than walls. Awesome. Uh, now, uh, now in your uh, youth um, that you've described, uh, were you with both parents, or uh, how did that work? I was I was very lucky to have both parents in the home. Hey. I, well, I, yeah, I mean, you know I'm you know the story always, now. So so mother stays home, so takes care of the family. Uh, the yeah. father crossed the border, you know, works for his family, you know, and you haven't seen I, your father in ten years. I, I, I saw Lamise Maluna. It was touching, and I saw uh, a lot of those films. But uh, my family was my mother and father were great parents and really cool. Um, you know, very. Very Mexican. My father was extremely Mexican, you know, very Mexicano. But um, my mother was from Boone, Iowa. So she was Mexican, too. I want to tell people that. Because people were like, Boone, Iowa, did that make you half Mexican? I go, no, I'm full Mexican. Not that that's that difficult a thing to be. But uh, my uh, mother was from Boone, Iowa, because basically my family, her side of the family, went up um, in, the, in the train. And they said they were treated very rudely in Texas. They fell asleep in the train. They woke up in Boone, Iowa, and they said, screw it. Let's just stay here. That's all there is to it. And they're in Boone, Iowa. So I grew up on flour tortillas. Uh, I, you know, I grew up in ham, string beans, ambrosia salad, all the Midwestern food just wrapped in a flour tortilla. That's the best way to describe it. That was my childhood. And I grew up in both worlds. My family started a, a barrio called Logan Heights. So, and then my mother quickly moved me into La Mesa, which was really nice and upper middle class. And, but we were still poor. We were like five kids in one bedroom, my parents in the other bedroom. And, uh, down the street lived a kid on a chicken ranch and up the street lives another Mexican family. So we were rare. There's about three of us of families, but that kid who lived down the street is Juan Vargas. He's a congressman now. And the other is, uh, Elena Choa, the first Mexican American astronaut. So I had some good people to grow up with. Now that's that's impressive. Um, I have a similar story, but I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> a lot of my friends, well, we went to an art high school together, and uh, some of them are Disney directors. Some of them are way more famous than I could ever be. So I, well, I you, can. When you're happy, bit. you're they, a lot of those guys. A lot of people think success makes you happy. It doesn't. It doesn't. So. If you're feeling that you may not be as successful, but you're happy, then you've won. That's what I always tell people because people are like, you know, no one in Hollywood thinks they're successful. Everyone in Hollywood thinks they're not successful. And people are away from Hollywood think, man, I wish I was in Hollywood. But the truth is no one in Hollywood is from Hollywood. We're all from Atlanta and everywhere else. I'm from San Diego. 
So I try to put it in perspective. Now, um, you have worked on the uh, diversity showcase. Yes. And I'm showing a clip uh, here of uh, one of the comedy skits that you've done. That's but, uh, um, from a, a Showtime special I did uh, called Legally Brown. Um, Legally Brown is on Showtime. It had Tony Plana, myself, Crystal, Crystal Alonzo, uh, a lot of different people. But my character, Buford Gomez, actually did on Broadway, was a character that was a right-wing Border Patrol agent, which I grew up on the border, so I ran into a lot of right-wing Border Patrol agents. They all had Texas accents, but like, hi, my name's Buford Gomez, and they talked like that. And I'd look at them and think, wow, they look more Mexican than I do. Why am I being pulled over? You know, they walk up with that whole, you know, oh, uh, let's see that carte de verde. And I'd look at them and just be like, he looked like Moctezuma, like that kind of Mexican brown. I mean, that, that dark Yucatan brown. And I was not quite that because I'm, I'm güero, as you know, right. which means uh, tall, good-looking, uh, light-skinned Latino man. It's a güero meets. It's not me. It's my people. Right, no, I get that. Now, um, that that's probably where you got your title for your book, uh, Almost White. Because you're you're yeah. a very light skinned kind of like I am a light skinned Latino where people well, look at me and they don't have no clue that I'm I'm Latino. Yeah, but that's we're called undercover Latinos, and undercover meaning that every culture has groups within their cultures that are lighter skinned, so they can be outside the camp to bust the other ones out. And I'm guess I'm that guy. Yeah, and uh, I get to sneak around, and if people are talking in Spanish, yeah. I can kind of spy and listen in and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, we're the double O, uh, double O Cholo, or double <laughs> exactly. o video of the spy world of Latino. <laughs> James, this is raw. Rano. You said I talked to you totally raw, I'd just be myself. So this is not, <laughs> this is not. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, and here's what I'm. I want people to go to to our uh, Latino Thought Maker channel. And uh, subscribe to Latino Thought Makers. I'm asking you to do that right now. I am begging my people to subscribe because I need to learn about social media. All right, so let me elaborate on that. So, um, so uh, we're going to get into this conversation about uh, something he's got called Latino Thought Makers, and uh, we'll get into what it's about and stuff like that. But he's had his YouTube channel for some time, and what we want to do is um, allow you guys to follow the important information that he has with uh, the Latino thought makers and allow, um, and, and basically, if you can go to the page, if you look at the description, I actually have the YouTube page listed there. And I just need you to click on that and hit subscribe. That would help us so much in terms of some of his mission, such as having more viewers. <laughs> yes, that would really help me a lot. But more importantly, I think people need to know Latino thought makers is important. Kind of show. This is my daughters. This is this is the. These are my daughters. Hi. Hey, hello. How are you? You guys want to talk Spanish just to prove you're Mexican? Hola. 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 ¿Cómo estás? ¿Cómo están? Bien, bien. Okay, that that was sending them to a multi-language cultural school since they were born. Now. A multicultural learning center. They were they were indoctrinated. I was like, they learned the Spanish through waterboarding. It's like agua, agua. They learned all that. Well, so what's your attitude on that? Um, so I have a child. She was born. Both my wife and I are Latinos, but we only yes. spoke English in the household. And Shameful. now, it's, now it's, it is. I know. I know. I know. No, I, I think people got to get over that. First of all, uh, I was on Despair to America one time, and people were like, 
we're surprised how horrible your Spanish was, Rick. <laughs> so, I was like, look, number one. 10% of Mexico doesn't speak Spanish. They speak indigenous languages. So not even all of Mexico speaks Spanish. And if you go to Spain, people speak Catalan. They speak all sorts of different dialects. So it, most people are fairly, um, you know, multilingual and, you know, not pure whatever Spanish is. And it really, the culture isn't purely about the language. It's, it never has been because uh, we're a very diverse culture. I've got families from Chihuahua, Mexico. So Chihuahua, my grandmother was Tarumura uh, Apache, and so she was dark. My grandfather was very wet and light and blue-eyed. He had blue-eyed. And so if you go to Chihuahua, there's Germans, there's French, there's all sorts of people. So it's a mixture, and we've always been a mixture of people. So my kids are even Mexicans, so they're a mixture. So no, I always tell Latinos, the least thing is always love everything about yourself. Don't figure how, how much more Latino could I be or what could I know or whatever. Just be who you are and, and, and celebrate your, your uniqueness because I can tell people my bad speaking Spanish is actually true of the Chicano experience in America. And so you not speaking Spanish as your home is true. Well, of your I do. They don't. Yeah. But yeah, but, uh, but we spoke English in the household. We watched TV, uh, which was English and stuff like that. Now, yeah. all right, so uh, you're young. But, you, but you, you don't forget your culture and who you are. Correct. There's a difference. And so we all are, are – uh, reflections of that culture, which is a very multicultural, diverse culture as well. The last full-blooded Chicano type was Moctezuma. He wore feathers and slippers, and they stoned him in uh, Mexico City. So I'm okay. It's I'm documented. Okay. It's documented. So you just love all of you because we're we're a very mixed culture. So I, I love my diversity. That's why I work in diversity. So th that's my one of my questions. Yes. You got into entertainment how? How did that start? Um, I was a kid. I was, uh, my father took me to a, a, a movie. And it was a Shakespearean type film with, uh, called Cromwell with Richard Harris. And I was like looking, it was like the red velour curtains opened up and there was this British men speaking so eloquently. There will be justice. And, and I looked and I said, wow, my father turned to me and he said, if you could speak beautifully like that, I'd be so proud of you. So I was like, hey, well, in that case, make my dad proud. I'll, I'll do anything. So I started reading Shakespeare. And I had memorized Shakespeare. I went to the Old Globe Theater when I was something like 17. I was really young. There was a Globe Education tour. They're doing Romeo and Juliet. And so I just did soliloquy from Romeo. And they gave me a job. And I was working the Old Globe for over a year and did all the shows. And um, I think I did three shows that year. And then I worked at San Diego Rep. And I worked all the theaters until finally coming to Hollywood. So that's how I got started, making my dad proud, my parents proud, which is a very Latino thing. We always love to make our family proud. And then were they supportive of that? Oh, yeah. That's very cool. much so. It's extremely. Uh, my dad was very proud of everything I did. My, and I came from tough guys. My, my grandfather was a cockfighter, raised fighting cocks. He was, you know, went to prison for it. Uh, my dad was tough too. He'd gone to Vietnam and World War II. So there I am wearing tights and with a sword in my hand. <laughs> so I, I kind of slung the tights down a little lower to look cool, you know, like a little street swag. But, um, you know, the, I, luckily I had very tough macho Latino guys that uh, allowed me to be who I was, which was theater. You know, I, I, I fell in love with theater at a young age, and and luckily um, 
everyone encouraged it. There was no sense of, you know, even me singing musicals and doing stuff like that. And I was in the San Diego Civic Youth Ballet. So my dad was like, that's my boy. I love that game. He's a good kid. So they were happy. I, 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 I embraced the art. So they, I never felt them ever going, no. Although they did say one thing, you got to make money. My dad was like, uh, you know, was never, uh, you know, he's going to pay for college or any of that stuff. They just said, look, you like, you like art, then make them, make them pay you for it. So my first job, I actually asked for money and I got it. So I've been paid ever since. And so was there ever a time of just struggle? Always a time of struggle. It's, it's never stops. You know, it's, it's, there, there's a, you know, you're in Hollywood and the only thing's different. You, you, you go against more famous people and richer people every time. Like I lose jobs to Seth MacFarlane, you know, um, that's the difference. You know, it's, it is kind of a little bit of like a jungle analogy that Hollywood, um, um, no lion retires in the Serengeti. No gazelle says, I'm just, I'm done. I made enough, got enough hay. I'm going to relax. So you're always constantly topping yourself or doing something different and something unique. And there is a real hustle to it. And, uh, you know, I'm being totally honest because I'm at home and I can be raw. Uh, but you, you, you got to make a living. You know, you it is, it's a miracle. I've made a living for so long and, and done really well. All right, so, so I'm very, very blessed. As a, as a Latino, um, yes. It, of course, that's kind of almost working against the grain in the entertainment industry. How do you feel you were able to kind of outmaneuver that? Because you're, you're pretty well known and high ranked in, in terms of uh, the way people may look at Hollywood. Uh, as a writer, you've, you've, done, uh, you've written for Mad TV, you've written for In Living Color, you've written for a lot of well known uh, yeah. shows. East Los High, I just did two seasons of East Los High, which was great for right. Hulu. And I've currently been at CBS for 13 years. and. I had a show on Broadway, and I think I'm, there's only one of three Latinos ever wrote and started a play on Broadway. I'm one of them. Um, Lin Miranda, John Leguizamo, and me. There's just, it's not a big group. But. Now he's, he's doing a third one, isn't he? Which one? Lin? I'm sure. No, John. Oh, John. Yeah, I'm sure he, he will. I have to do one too. I got to do another one. <laughs> the top one. <laughs> on that now. I, I cannot. It's at the competition level. Jeez. I think I've, I've done really well down to third and now I got to catch up to him. I can get my second one on. Right. So the competition is difficult. It's really hard. It's like every time they do something bigger, I'm like, Oh man, I did only 137 performances of Broadway. He did, you know, 400, you know, it's all that kind of competition. And, uh, but that's, we, if you're an artist, you really kind of create your own competition in your head. You know, your real competition is yourself. So uh, this is the Latino Thought Makers. Tell us a little bit about um, the Thought Makers. Well, Latino Thought Makers started about three years ago. And uh, it really started because I just start, started hearing a lot of bad, negative things about Latinos. You know, I've heard it for a long time, actually. Since about 1800s, I've been hearing it. Uh, and so what I wanted to do with Latino Thought Makers was, was to show a positive view of Latinos. And... Uh, really show Latinos as the solution, not the problem. Because all I kept hearing, you know, oh, these undocumented people are such a strain on our society. I'm like, wait, we're like the sixth largest economy in the world, or six to eight, and we have two million undocumented people in our 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 state, and we're that rich? Obviously, they're not hurting us. They're actually helping us. 50% of all their agriculture is, is made by people that are undocumented. And that feeds most of America. 
so, you know, we're doing all this work and, uh, we, I wanted to be recognized. That's what Latino thought makers is about. And that's why I, I go out and speak a lot and, and do, uh, shows and, and I've spoken at Harvard, Stanford. I've been on NPR, a lot of different things, but just a simple, a very simple thing of, of Latinos are the solution. We're the ones, we're the young demographic. We're, we're the people that are going to fix the world. And, uh, if you, if you, how well we're educated versus incarcerated will decide all our futures. I can see my book up there. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, now you have this, uh, your book, uh, Almost White. Yes. And, um, you had discussed, for example, having a seizure and you fell and you split your head open and, of course, nearly yes. losing your life. And now it's years later, because this happened some time ago now. Uh, you've had a second chance at life. Now, what noticeable changes do you feel you've contributed in your mission since then? Oh, man, that's a tough question. You really got me. You were just, you're tearing, breaking me down in this interview. You were, you just, you, you just always at my heels. I can see competition there. Uh, what is, what is, what is, what is, what is uh, change? I, I, you know, you know, I'm glad you asked me that because no, no one really ever asked me that. It's really true. <laughs> I call it, I call it the Lazarus effect. This is the Lazarus effect. You know, Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb. You know, you're alive. Lazarus gets home and someone goes, Oh, you got to get your taxes done. And so Lazarus is like, okay, I got to get my taxes done. Here I go. Well, wait, you know, and it's the same thing. You, you, you were, I was at death's door three times actually. I was, uh, the first time when I'm, it, it wasn't a seizure. It was actually a, um, I guess it, well, I had a problem that they didn't un understand in my brain. It was an, called encephal seal. It's a leakage in the brain and it wasn't diagnosed. So one night, since I had this leakage in my brain, I, I actually developed a fever. Um, they don't know what kind of fever it was, but when you have nothing protecting your brain, you can get really sick. And so I, I got 110, whatever, 13 degree fever and I actually had a seizure then. That was a seizure. I fell down, I hit my head. Uh, in my home, I was alone. I, I had a maid who uh, called my wife and said, Mr. Rick is very sick. And I hate saying maid because she's really just a friend. And she told me, called my wife and my wife's like, uh, you know, knock on his door. And she's like, and I kept saying, go, go away. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm just sick. And as I was getting, I was getting more and more sick till finally, I had a seizure and they found me in a, a in my bed in a pool of blood and uh it looked like I it had been a a hate crime or something you know people didn't know what happened to me you know, a lot of people were were wondering I I was kind of thinking wow if it was a hate crime this is going to be great publicity boy if I make it I'll be like you know hey let's increase the peace come on you know and all that kind of stuff but it was overworking with this problem so I was in a coma for 3 weeks off on and off. Um, and then a week later, my, when I came out of it, I found they, they take a, a tube down my throat and they took it out and I could speak. And the first joke I said was the nurse was there and I walk, she walks up to me, surprised I could speak. And I go, do you know how to get a man out of a coma? And I bring her down. She comes down to go, do you know how to get a man out of a coma? Give him Viagra. That'll get him up. And then I went immediately under. So, it was, you know, at that level, my joking was not where I am now. It was basically that kind of humor. But they remembered. They're like, oh, it just came back. What happened? And then I started coming back. But every time I came back, I started reciting Shakespeare. 
Glennie Shakespeare so deeply in my soul. And then people would come to visit me and they would tell me I'd said these really profound, cool conversations when I started coming out. But it took a, a long time. And in fact, a week later, after coming out of the coma, I spoke at the World Bank, which is a YouTube channel. You can see me speaking at the World Bank. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I don't remember it because I'd only been out for a week. So it was, it was pretty traumatic and I had to keep working. Um, wow. cause in Hollywood, no one likes to know that you're sick because the rumors were, you know, what everything, what happened to Rick? Oh my God. You know, what, what happened? And, uh, no one ever looks at the lion and says, that's a, that, that wounded lion is such a noble beast. They, that's when the jackals come in and kill you. So I had to really recover fast and uh, kept it very secret in Hollywood. Um, my wife's a publicist, so she, she put like a no visit clause and all sorts of stuff. So people didn't know. Eventually, uh, I, I decided to talk about it in my book because my publisher came and they said, you know, where have you been? Where have you been? No one knows where you're at. Just, we're all terribly worried about you. And I'm, you know, newly out of a coma going, I was in a coma, but I'm okay. Uh, I just give me, what am I doing? She goes, you're, you're speaking at the World Bank. And I go, okay, how much am I making? And they told me, and I was like, I need medical bills. <laughs> I'll be here. So I look like one of those 80s, you know, uh, action movie stars when they start taking out their own, you know, uh, pulling out all the stuff off of them, you know, pulling everything out, out of them and getting up to go with that one last fight. So that was the World Bank for me. So. And I had to make a conscious choice to, to walk and live. You know, it was really strange being in a coma. People go, what do you remember? I mean, I do remember out of my body a lot. And, uh, but most I remember having is to, to say, get up. You got to get up. You got to get up for your family. So back to the question. Okay. What so, I, so, what so I, that, I mean, that's the story and it's very traumatic. It's very, uh, it's in the book. So if anybody wants to pick up the book, but yeah, I, was, um, I, was just, I was just reading it out loud. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was the word for word verbatim. Um, no, so wait, I, wait. I know you had. I, I know you've been on that mission of uh, helping the Latin market. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the diversity uh, stuff that you were doing with CBS, but but then this happens, and uh, at what point did you say, "Well, I got to get back on mission"? And if so, then then where did uh, what, what kind of things have happened since then? Well, you know, you're as an artist, you, you grow in what your mission is. I mean, basically, I first started acting to meet girls. That was about it, you know. <laughs> and then later on, it becomes more, you know, you, you grow up. And, uh, and then I turned into what the mission was, was really what all every artist's mission is, is to, to look at the world and, and show people things they haven't seen. You know, show them not not to see the world as it is, but as it should be. As in a quote, I remember reading that one time. But remember, it's not to see the world as it is, but as it should be. It's not to see the world as how Latinos should be, as how they should be treated, how it should be better. So for me, a lot of it, it was a reinforcement of the mission. And the book really came from the fact that I, I nearly died. And I thought, I want to leave something for my children. I want them to to really know me, you know, if I'm not gone. At that time, my kids were like eight 10, 11, and, and they would have missed out on me. So I really wanted something to leave them. And I had a great father, and I love him very much, and I have a great mother and a great family. So I wanted them to have that. So I really had a drive to write the book. And the mission has changed in this way that I realized 
there was a there's an expiration date on me and uh there's an expiration date on all of us and to look at the world and, and to see who we are and to live in the now live in the now just truly being gracious and grateful to your world and to be more loving and kinder than the next guy next to you to 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 really be the solution not the problem so if anything you know it made me a lot more loving and caring it really did i mean it made me look at people that were that i were in the, i was in the hospital seeing people dying and and you know and i'd see stories and i would really just look at the humanity and realize how lucky i had been cuz you know there was a a woman a very great actress lupe antaveros and she died um and i remember she called me and i was in the hospital and i said the recording it says you know rick i've heard about your accident and it's unfortunate but i know we're, i'm praying for you we'll get through this together oh. and she said that and then like a month later she had cancer and she knew it oh. so she was saying for both of us you're going to make it and i'm going to make it and they had that hope but she was thinking about me and knowing that she had cancer at the time thinking about me and calling me up really was just a remarkably beautiful thing to happen and i'll always remember that and i remember visiting her at the hospital before she died and i think i was one of the last people to see her and you know i i you, you see someone that you you care about you know and she's dying and you you rack with guilt cuz like why didn't why didn't i die you know so many people are good people didn't die and yet i lived so i have survivor guilt to this day but part of the way to knock away survivor guilt is giving a little bit more to the world so i do have that in my head yeah you you were given a second chance what are you going to do with it and sometimes i go i go man god brought me back for this <laughs> so i i you know sometimes when i make mistakes or and i you know i wonder cuz it it is a it really is a gift but it it took me to be in a coma to wake up to realize that life is a gift and and truly love it truly love your life oh i thank you for that yeah you worked on the diversity showcase uh for many many years in cbs and a lot of stars brought it out of that can you tell us a little bit about that oh, yeah. are you still working on the showcase Yes I am. I'm still I'm still in showcase. I was just on auditions all day. So like I my mind's a little uh burn out because when you're on auditions and I work with some really great people there's some really good people that I work with that you know cuz they're also part of the problem. You know, we're we're in Hollywood. We're we're the solution and we're the problem at the same time. And and I don't think people in Hollywood truly are out to get minorities. And this a lot of times they don't understand us. And I I I really look at it and I go if you knew us you would love us. as weird as that sounds to say and and what latino thought makers about is getting people to know us and and know who we are you know good bad and and indifferent of, of who we are as a people because we're we're very much human and uh, a lot of people don't see it that way so diversity is important you know people come out of the show Kate McKenna who's on um, Kennedy's on um, Saturday night live right um uh, Tiffany Haddish who's in the girl trip she's the lead of that she's a great actress A Randall Park who's the lead of Fresh Off the Boat, Justin Hires who's in Hawaii Five-0, MacGyver, everything. Um about 65 series regulars. Four have gone on the Saturday Night Live, four have gone on the Daily Show and four have gone on the Mad TV, all directed by me. And it's a program that's very intense. I I basically it's me teaching acting and writing everything I know for almost 6 months. Wow. Well, so it's, it's a very intense program. Yeah, I, I know you've uh, I've watched some of your 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, 2,500 people auditioned for it. I choose maybe 23. Me and oh. the executive vice president of casting, Fern Orenstein, along with everyone else, because there's pl plenty of input. It's very collaborative. I know um, part of your, I guess, your teaching philosophy has to do with comedy or laughter and yeah. um, how that is like the peak of the emotions that an actor can go through. Now, you must have seen one of my, my videotapes. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Um, it's like, it's like, being <laughs> I don't know you at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. You're doing, you're doing research. I can see you are good. You are good. Um, uh, I, a, a lot of times you, you know, what laughter is and comedy is, it's the highest forms of emotion. You know, uh, comedy is a very intelligent person's game. You know, it is. Um, and that's why when you see Latinos on television or film, a lot of times we're doing drama, and which I think is ridiculous because we're far more funny as a people than dramatic. Um, Telenovelas just, you know, we joke about them, but on the truth is our comedy. I've, I've, you know, I mean, the saddest times you'll see Latinos, they're going to be laughing. They're going to be joking. Um, you know, there's an earthquake that happened in Mexico City, and there was a rock star got killed, and one of the people are joking. It's like he died of a cement overdose. That was the joke. And there's that gallows humor comedy that Latinos were always laughing. We're always thinking something's funny or unique or we, we love life. You know, that's a big part of us. That and laughter's part of that life. So it's not um it's not the drama that people remember of us or really it's the humor. Because that's what we should talk about, how great we have is humor. So I I you know, just like a musical. It, and the emotion gets so strong, you have to laugh. And the emotion gets so strong in terms of, of the human experience that you have, you have to laugh as well. So it's, it's involuntary. It's, it's, it's an involuntary action. Now, uh, I want to thank everybody that's watching. We're not done yet, but I want to thank everybody that's watching. If you guys are watching and enjoying the content, please share. Because that's how we get the word out. That's how people can interact and ask questions and stuff like that live. I am keeping an eye on the comments. Uh, I'm sure everybody's enjoying uh, our stories that we're sharing today. Um, so, Rick, uh, so a, a number of years ago, and yes, I've been kind of reading up on you and stuff like that. Uh, you had mentioned that we need more Latin or more diverse writers. Um, and the thing is, uh, I'm sure years ago uh, that was a big deal in terms of getting writers uh, for television and stuff like that, but everything's kind of shifting, including this this episode here. We're doing this live online and stuff like that. So, uh, where do you begin to make those changes, or where do you begin to try and inspire new writers to to talk about uh, their diversity in a world of the digital age, where everybody's just kind of caught up in their phones and staring at Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that? Uh, when back in the day, it used to be more like, well, here's a book, read it, and get inspired. How do you think we can influence? I mean, I, I, I think we have a lot of, um, you know, ability to connect to people on a, on a, on a worldwide because of the web. You know, this is like, remember 13 years ago. I remember I met my wife. I asked her on a date, and I'd never used an email before. So I wrote a, you know, I was like, hey, you want to go on a date? And I didn't even know how to use it. And all of a sudden, the email comes back. And I'm like, wow, it's a mail. I had to click on it, and all of a sudden it says, yeah, sure, let's go to Horton Plaza, <laughs> someplace for, for a drink or coffee. 
And I was, and that was my first inter, internet experience. It was my wife asking her out. And so, and then now look at 13 years later, I'm, I'm actually writing a show that was on Hulu, seen by millions of people. I also worked for Ray Williams Johnson, who came through the CBS program. He has 12 million subscribers. He's one guy. So that's changing a lot of it. It's, it's connecting to people in a way, but it's also finding the audience that knows what you're about. Um, when I first started out, I started doing theater. I could afford theater. You know, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't compete against CBS or ABC and just do my own pilot on my network, but I could afford a, a show. And so my first show was Latin's Anonymous. It was the name of it. It was like a 12 step program gone wrong. So I, I go, hi, my name's Rick and I admit I'm a Latino. And I'd go on this whole monologue, but the show became a hit. And, um, uh, and so I sold uh, a pilot from it. Uh, for Universal Studios. So I knew that with a $1,200 budget, I could make something, make uh, a living doing, you know, when I would get an equity job and then I would get a playwright, uh, I would get a percentage of the gross so I could make a living. And so then I started figuring, oh, well, I'll, I'll write and star in it. I'll, I'll do all that. Because basically, you know, I came from working class people that were, they don't mind you being an actor, you just got to get paid. I mean, they couldn't even fathom. Like, you wouldn't be a, you wouldn't be a guy going, "I'm a carpenter. I love being a carpenter, and one day I'm gonna get paid as a carpenter." You got paid, and so they were very much, and because of that, it, it put in the sense of me as a producer that I wanted to entertain people. My first two plays were actually dramas, and uh, did very well critically. People liked it, but people walked out of there depressed as hell. And I didn't get a lot of ticket sales. My next play was a comedy because I realized that's really what I should do. Hmm. Now you, um, you've had some really inspiring conversations with some of the top or most recognized Latin, uh, actors and stuff. Uh, as I was showing, uh, this very well-known actor, Trello and Danny, Danny Trejo and Dolores Huerta and Edward James Olmos and, Virtually everyone, you know. And, yeah, I, saw, uh, I just earlier showed Cheech. And it, yeah. it's amazing how, I mean, they, to me, for me, and, and I don't even think about it in terms of Latino, they're embedded in my, my youth and my culture and my growing up in filmmaking. Yeah, um, so, and mine too. I mean, and I don't, but I don't think about it. I like, like, I don't step back and say, those are my, my Latino folks. I just think of them as those are really talented guys that I'm a big fan of. And then it wasn't until I started watching some of your reels that I'm like, that's right, the Latino. And, it, and it, yeah. it's just wild because even as a Latino, I don't think about uh, things of that nature, like, you know, about the d diversity. It's not, I'm not always sitting around walking around thinking diversity. Um, no, no, one, no, I'm more no aware of it now than, than almost yeah. ever. It, it, in a lot of ways in America, didn't want you to think about diversity. They didn't want you to think. I mean, even the right wingers now are going, oh, identity politics, identity politics. But we've always had identity politics. I mean, we went from a British colony to going, our new identity is American. So, you know, and then we went from the southern states became, you know, a, a part of America and the northern states. And then there was a succession. They tried to win the Civil War. We've always had an identity and, and it's, it's part of who we are. The only people don't like identity is when all of a sudden they start to feel their minorities, which a lot of the white guys have felt that way. So they're like, oh, no identity politics. We're all just white and American, right? But that's too late. The and and you think that's not. part of the flare-up that occurred in the past few days? 
Yeah. I, you know, I think uh, a lot of it is. It's, it's you know, look at the guy who, who ran the, the car into the people, allegedly. I'll, I'll use network standards, who allegedly <laughs> drove a car into a group of dem- anti-demonstrators. Now, the thing is what they said is that, and I'm very politically thinking. My, my cousin's married to Cesar Chavez's daughter. I, I'm on the board of field. I, I come from a political background as well. And I look at these questions and I say, there are people that are saying, we want to take away your rights. We're going to take away your right to be a, a black person in America or a Latino person in America or an immigrant in Paris. We want to take away your rights. And there's people just saying, we want to have our rights. So when you look at guys like, you know, KKK and uh, the alt-rights and all these people, they're trying to drag all of us back to a time when we were not at our best. America was basically created in a lot of ways on racism, and we have to admit it. We have to sit there and go, the reason southern states were very wealthy because they had slaves. The reason the southwest, we took it to southwest from Mexico. We did a lot of things. Now, I'm not saying that we're a perfect nation in any way, but I love this nation and I, uh, deeply, and my family's died for this country. I think what's great about us is we're progressive. We're trying to become better than who we were. That's what the hallmark of America is. We're trying to be better than we are. We want our children to have a better life than we did. We want all those things. Everyone does. We immigrated this country for that very same reason. And then you have people that want to go back to an old time that, that when America, when they say is great. Now, if you look at that and you go, when was America great? When they were uh, deporting a million Mexicans back to Mexico um, and 60% of them were American citizens? That happened during the 40s. Was it great when um, uh, Mexican-American women were, were sterilized in, in East L.A. clinics because they didn't know what they were reading and they just had them sign a consent form because they believe in, in uh, a pure race? That was really what was behind of, of stopping people of us breeding. There's horrible programs that were done uh, and, and, and crimes against diverse people in this country. It's not saying... All white people are bad, but you have to admit when, when, when you've done something in the past to go overcome it, to go to a better future for all of us. And you know, something is, I have, uh, I have, I'm married to an Anglo woman. She's Irish and white and she's beautiful. And yeah, no, (laughs) don't tell the press, hold the presses. Whoa. Mr. Chicago guy. We finished this interview. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done with you. You said that. Bendido. No, it's, it's, you know, there's no such thing as a pure Mexican. There's, and, you know, we're, we've always been a diverse culture and we've always intermingled and we're a, we're a romantic culture. We speak a romance language. We get Spanish. We're, we're cool people. Um, and we, um, have, what life does, life interbreeds and changes and, and it's, it's hard to be kept in a little box. You know, it's like even the Cro-Magnon men and the Homo sapiens interbred. You know, they were, you know, you got to be, this is before alcohol was even invented. I know, right? So when you think about that, there's no beer goggles back then. Yeah, they could have been mushrooms. So there's, there's, yeah, some guy's looking <laughs> going, you know, that cruel magnet woman, she's kind of thick. I like her. <laughs> you know? So thick. it's, it, yeah, thick, she's thick. She's got that hairy body. I like it. Ah, you know. <laughs> Man, you see her take down that buffalo with her hands. <laughs> Gotta have that. Jeez. So, you know, it's it's just, it's it's how DNA and genetics and how we do. We're life. That's what we want to do. We want to create more of it. P- 
people that are not progressive, who sit there and say, we're going to build a wall to stop the people, I say walls don't work. You know, I grew up on a border, border with a wall, and it didn't work. And I don't care what it has to do, it's not going to work. No. I mean, they, they took no, down the German wall. I mean, come on. No, the Great Wall of China was put up to stop the Mongol invaders. Well, guess what? There's a Mongol emperor on the throne of China within a generation. Mm-hmm. So the wall didn't work. So walls don't work. It's bridges work. It's, it's interacting with people. So that way they're not the enemy, but they're part of us. There's, there's absorption of cultures and, and cultures that are exchanging all the time. I look at, look at Anglo cultures just on TV, white Hollywood America. I saw a commercial for tahini, which is a Mexican spice. And so this Mexican spice called tahini, they're like, hey, hey, Sally, have you heard about this new thing called tahini? What is it? I don't know. Let's try it on watermelon. <laughs> I'm like, wait, hey, wait a minute. We, we've been doing that for, for a long time. What are you talking about? So, you know, but then again, I'm having, you know, tonight I'm going to have some pasta, you know, with pesto. Oh. And, you know, it's, it's, I know, I know, didn't have chilaquiles at Manuva. I've, you know, I, I, I love those things. But people, people don't understand we're all in cultural uh, evolution. Every one of us in cultural evolution. When you look at the people back, what happened in Charlotte, the guy that allegedly ran through a car, through people who failed he had to stop it, look at his life. They, I think he was a, uh, maybe a, a security guard or something like that. He was 20 years old. He failed going into the Army. He came out. Um, he had been in the Army for four months and got washed out or whatever. This is what I was reading. And he's making $600 every two weeks. Not exactly a rich guy. And yet, who is he looking to? He, he, he's a void in his life that he has to fill. He feels that the American dream is passing him up, but he's got to blame someone. And so who do you blame? You blame all the people that, that you're not even around. You don't even know. You're thinking some Mexican guy's taking your job. I, I've never been at CBS and entertainment where I turn around, there's a guy with a bag of oranges hand going, I, I took your job over. It's mine. You know, I, it's weird. They just gave me your job. It's, you know, that's not happening. I, I don't know. We, we need that. Um, I, I find it unusual when I go to a Chinese restaurant and there's Mexican cooks in the back. They're, they're, they are taking a few Chinese jobs. That's true. But then again, I've gone to some Mexican restaurants. You might see a Chinese chef back there. Well, the best That's Chinese true. food actually is a Tijuana. People don't realize that. If you go to on the border, you grow up on the border, Mexicali, Tijuana, great Chinese food because they were the Chinese that couldn't get the green card to cross over. They stayed there, built themselves a great life, and have some of the best Chinese restaurants around. And you go to Cuba. You ever see Chinese Cubanos? You know, that, that exists. We're, we're a very mixed culture, and that's our strength, not is our diversity. That's our power. That's why I think diversity is important, because when you keep someone from their, their truly who they can be, we're stopping and we're hurting actual evolution. We're hurting a chance of someone that could have been the guy that invented the cure for cancer. That might have been black. We're hurting the chance of a uh, Mexican-American who, who might have wrote some incredible script and some just because you're not having used to having a Latino on the set and because you don't know them. It's all those things. And like I say, if you know us, you'll love us. So that's, that's my, my belief, honestly, is to become more, more of me. And I want everyone else to do the same thing. In some conversations that I have uh, for a lot of people in their point of view, there's there, they see many Latinos in Hollywood. Now, you know, of course, uh, they also hear a lot about Latinos in the government. Now, 
what do you think people should know about Latinos that they don't know? What they don't know is that the Latinos are the future of America, and they're not able to see that. Um, we're the fastest-growing demographic. We're all those things. So how well we all have in our future is how well Latinos are educated versus incarcerated will change everything. In California, there's a lot of new jails that have been made. Around the, around the country, we're the most you know, jailed population in the world. Um, they're building new jails, but how many universities are they building? How many colleges are they building? And then again, you know, we have, we always have money for a, a carrier or a B1 bomber or something like that, but why don't we have money for people to go to school? Because education, you know, uh, I think Gorky, uh, I think uh, a Russian novelist, I think it was Gorky, wrote, uh, when you close a prison door, or no, when you, when you close a, when you close a prison door, uh, you open a, uh, a school door, basically. I, I'm messing this up really horribly. That's how tired I am. <laughs> when you close it, when you close a, a prison door, you, you, you open a, uh, a school door. And the thought is, is that, you know, prison, all that incarceration and holding back people and, and law and order and all that stuff. We're living in a Dickens kind of world now where people look at stuff and go, like now it's an opiate crisis. No, it's an opiate crisis. Before it was a crack epidemic. And we had to incarcerate all those black people and stop them and super predators and all this stuff. We're talking, we're going to get them, we're going to get them, stop it. You know, that whole idea. But now when it's white people, it's an opiate emergency. We need to, we need to, because really what the drug problem is, is, is a medical issue. It's not a, a criminal issue. It's a medical problem, but we don't, don't choose to use, deal with it that way. So a lot of this is created by when people look at people that are minorities and see them as n not them, the other, the foreigner, the immigrant person like that. And so they give them those titles and that makes it easy to incarcerate them. I, okay. It's, I did, it came to me right now. It's from Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo wrote, he who opens a school door closes a prison door. He who opens a school door closes a prison. You understand what that means? I just remember that. It came back to me. I just did not have that. I finally hit it. He who opens a school door closes a prison door. So think about that. It's about opportunity. Yeah. Education, you know, education is one of the biggest things I'm about. That's why Latino thought makers, let me show you a t-shirt. Because if you subscribe to my website, I'll... YouTube. YouTube. Sorry, so, right. so, so let me, yeah, let me elaborate on that. So again, um, Anna had shared this link. Let me show this t-shirt. Um, Latin thought makers, they have a YouTube page and we want to add more subscribers. So what we're Looking hoping for you guys to do is, uh, in the description, there's a link to it. Anna had shared it earlier. Um, we want to reach 100 subscribers so we can now change the name to YouTube slash Latino Thought Makers. So please share this video. Please let people know. Um, share the link to the YouTube page as well and let people know that, um, that it's going to be great content. Now, explain to people, the Latin Thought Makers, what your mission on that show is. Well, the, the mission is really simple. It's to it's put a spotlight on people and show because right now we, we have a real problem in America. We have Trump actually wanting to talk about the immigrants are causing crime, which is not statistically true. And we all know that's not right. But he's actually going to start publicizing um, immigrants that cause crime. You know, and they did that in Nazi Germany, actually, against Jews. So 
if they're going to publicize how bad we are, supposedly, I just want to publicize how good we are and how human we are and how unique we are and how, how we are the solution. So Latino thought makers is not only entertaining because people see these great, you know, conversations I have with people that are, are, are friends at this point because a lot of us in Hollywood, especially Latinos, we're not with our families. Most of us don't come from Hollywood. And so our Hollywood family becomes really our family. I mean, I, I tell you, um, my wife, when we first came to Hollywood, um, you know, she complained that she didn't have a lot of family here, and it was true. But now I was, we'd hit us one night. We were out with Eddie Olmos, Edward James Olmos, who's my kid's godfather. And uh, we're at having a birthday dinner with him. And it was really just we went to his house and we had watched videos. And they're looking after the dog right now because he's filming something. And uh, oh, <laughs> I just got a view. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. This is really good. So uh, my wife realized that that's, that's our family. He just happens to be famous, but that's really our family and our friends. So a lot of it is the community of feeling that in Hollywood. So I think Latino thought makers, I'm able to, to really show people who we are as a family, you know, we, and, and that's the great thing about it. Cause all these guys have stories with like Luis Guzman. He did a movie I wrote called nothing like the holidays. Um, you know, uh, Edward James Olmos is my kid's godfather, but he's also a guy that did Latino logs. And so most of these people I've actually worked with. And so it's kind of been a good thing to work with people I know. So the conversations people always, when they watch them go, wow, just like I was listening, I was hanging out at the dinner table with you guys and you're just talking. I remember one time, I was with, uh, you know, Edward James almost one time, and we're talking. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, Jim Morrison was stealing my dance moves. And I go, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, he goes, Jim Morrison was watching his dance moves, right? He would come to the, he'd go where, where Eddie was, was, uh, was, was playing, right? And he would watch Eddie dance. And Eddie's a great dancer. And the oh, way he tells it is that, yeah, it was incredible. So Jim Morris is watching him dance and looking at his moves. And, and I, I'm, I'm thinking, you never told him about Jim Morris. So every time I talk to the guy, there's always a new person new I hear about. <laughs> it's a new story. But he really has lived that life. We all have. And you know, we forget about it. It's like um, one day I'm, I'm watching, I hung out with Pitbull for a weekend in Miami. I got to hang out with Pitbull for a weekend. And great guy. I mean, really just amazing human being. Just the nicest guy you'll meet. And uh, so... I, I tell someone, I'm, I, was, I was hanging out with Pitbull. My kid sees his phone number in my, my book, in my telephone book. And they're like, call a Pitbull, call a Pitbull. <laughs> I'm like, it's probably not even his number anymore. But yeah, what's we, up with that? They always change their numbers. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he has. I haven't, actually, I haven't called the number. Maybe he still has it. Some people, I still have my number. And, you know, some people do. But it's, it's the life you live here. It's a very normal life. It's not quite what people imagine. And this is our family and friends. So if I can show people kind of behind the scenes of who we are in a, in a nice, respectful way, I mean, uh, you know, we all, you know, I remember one night I went out with uh, Cheech Marin and uh, Geraldo Rivera, Geraldo Rivera, Cheech Marin. They're, they're good friends. And so I'm with them in New York and we're at a club and I'm hearing a, uh, at a dinner. There's a dinner and they brought a bottle of tequila and we're doing tequila shots and talking. It's like one of the best conversations I've ever heard. So intelligent. It was like my dinner with Andre, but two Latino guys 
talking about life in such a cool, unique way. And I, and, you know, I, I, Geraldo Rivera to me was a guy that opened a vault, you know, for uh, Al, Al Capone's vault and found nothing. So right. I, didn't, I didn't exactly <laughs> respect the guy. But after hearing him talk, I really started to like him. And I started thinking, that's what I want with Latino thought makers. That after you get to know people and they talk and they relax, you feel you know them. And, and when you know them, you like them. You know, it's, that's really mostly it. If you, it's prejudice comes from the fact that you're ignorant of someone. And so if, if I can do my part to show people Latinos and what we do and who we are as a people, then I think I'm doing a good thing for all, everyone. And with me, you know, since comedy has always been a part of my life, if I can make people laugh, I can make them think. Hmm. Well, you do. Uh, you do it on a consistent basis, and that's what I think I admire about you. Um, oh, and I met you number, a number of years ago. And, I remember. Uh, the Georgia Latino Film Festival. You came up to me, and you asked for my autograph, and... I was like, in a second. And then you kept knocking on my head. I said, in a second. All right, you'll get my autograph in a second. And I pushed you. And it got crazy. It was weird. There's a lot of fighting. Well, and yeah. I mean, then. and, and then, then you, when you, you give me the head noogie. That's when I thought you were, yeah. I realized you were kidding. Yeah. And, and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've, most people, I've, you know, we don't, it's, it's surprising how people think we're going to be a certain way, but we're very, most people in the business that are working, are really normal people. I know, well, I know. Is, absolutely. It's just, it's so people don't don't realize. Like I, I got kids. I got a wife. You know, I have the same problems everyone else does. And and you know, but on top of it, I have to work in a very very uh, stressful business. Well, I've had the privilege of working uh, in New York in the film industry for about twenty years, and um, and on a very uh, occasional uh, occasion, um, the the actor or actress uh, is willing to chill and hang out with the crew, which, you know, it's a rare thing because they usually yeah. kind of go in their direction. The crew's got to finish, you know, taking down sets or whatever. And, um, and you get to feel that, that normalcy uh, because, you know, people who watch the, the screen, they have this perception. And then you also listen to all the gossip and, and it reinforces that perception. And when you finally get to know people in a, in a more personal way, uh, sitting mm-hmm. in a bar, or going out to dinner, or whatever, and you had to get to hear the normal stories. It's just normal stories, and it's really uh, awesome. Well, they're, they're, Good. They're human stories, you know. What I mean, this thing is like, I can name off some of the best conversations I've had that just happened to have been with people that are famous. But like, you know, I remember talking to Eric Roberts in in Cancun. We were doing a, sh- a shoot together, and we just sat. And a chef came in and was cooking us a meal. I don't remember what the, they cooked. I remember how interesting Eric Roberts was, you know, what he talked about, um, what was thinking in his mind. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm fascinated by humans. I'm just, I just think, you know, humans are, we're such fascinating creatures, you know, that when I get a chance to interview someone, I get to ask questions because I'm very curious. Like I, I watch, you know, my family always laughs at me because I love this wicked tuna show. Wicked tuna because I love to fish. <laughs> no one would think I would love to fish, you know, but I, I love it. And I love to cook. But people don't know those things. But if you, if you really ask someone about who they are, people really want to explain themselves. They want to be understood. And a lot of times when you interview people and I get a chance to interview people, um, they really desperately want to be understood because that's the connection we all need. So... 
Did you hear that in the background? No, what did she say? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I was just I was wondering if you were hearing the noise. Uh, is it is there a noise in the audio? No. Okay. It's good. No, I don't, I don't hear any noise. Do do people like the audio? Is it okay? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. I see Dolores worked in that, that scene right there. Uh huh. She was great too, you. Yeah, and and that's what I'm really enjoying about the la um the and I just spoke to Isai last week. Uh, thanks yeah. to you, as a matter of fact. Yes. And um, I, I'm trying to now. Uh, it's fascinating to hear their stories uh, that you're able to pull out of them on stage. Um, yeah. And it's it's fascinating to have a conversation with you. Uh, you know, because again, you read the book, you you um, you know look up stories and articles and stuff like that, and there's a certain type of image and. And same thing with Isai and stuff like that. And, and you then have just a normal conversation. It's fantastic. So I do appreciate you uh, coming uh, on the show and uh, sharing uh, a little bit of yourself. Um, what's going on next with Latino Thoughtmakers? Well, Latino Thoughtmakers is going to be at Haku, which is Hispanic Association of College and Universities, October 30th. Now it's going to have me and Chich Moran. And I, I still need one, one female celebrity. I can wear a wig. I can wear a wig. Okay, I'll, I'll have you. But I might get calls from the women. So, <laughs> I, I don't think you can tell a Latino story without telling the, the Latino the Latina story as well. So I'm really conscious about that because you know I have, I have two daughters and uh, you, you you can't tell a Latino story without women. So I got to have a woman on that panel. But that'll come on October 30th, and I'm starting a radio show on uh, KPCC, KPFK Pacifica Radio. Kate. No. Our first freeze. <laughs> Rick, I don't know if you can hear me, but you are frozen. He is frozen. Pleasure to extend a warm welcome to you. Don't miss the Georgia Latino Film Festival.
trying to escape this shit. Not run into it. That's your absolute you take. What I do know. Wow. About your maldito. Um, there is a darkness around him. You guys, can I bring something for my glasses? This is something very strange. Clean them? Like Windex? Do they always tell you those things? She's alive. Yeah. So my mother but I can't I see her. after. Tell my son, my wife. Sometimes like they know me. These people need to go, Miguel. You need to take them. You show up in a car accident, all this going out in Wallace. I'm here to help. And you need the help. You came across a dead man yesterday. You're sitting next to a dead man today, and you'll be doing the same thing tomorrow. They call you maldito. The only luck you have is bad. person I've ever found alive. And why would I do that for you? Getting out of, out of this country. I'm leaving. You think about this. The only one he ever lost was himself. Oh, and look who's here. <laughs> I'm back. Oh, man. The drama I am so that sorry I for mean, whatever, I, I had my happened. tech support here. It was crazy. Crazy. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, is that, that's the boatman. You know who stars in that? Oscar Torres. Yes, I know Oscar. He's been asking me to see that movie since I just I saw it. So we'll have to have a special to, Yes, I did. Oh man! So uh, all right. So I mean, I want. I mean, I before I even forget, I wanted to appreciate you for coming on board um, and, oh. and talking to us. Um, and before any internet hiccups again, is there anything else you want to promote? I know we want to promote the YouTube page. Um, we were talking about, uh, California and the show you're doing there. Is there anything else that's going on in your wonderful life? Well, you know, what I'm doing nowadays is, is, uh, you know, CBS diversity showcases right now we're auditioning people. So I'll see a lot of people. And then, uh, more Latino thought makers. We're going to, we'll be in Kenyatta College. We're going to be back at Cal State LA. We're going to be at the Haku. Uh, more and more shows. And I also get asked to speak a lot, so I'm sure I'll be on the road speaking more. But go to the YouTube channel for Latino thought makers and subscribe to us because I need to get that up. But um, I've said that again. But on the whole, um, a lot of good stuff. The radio show coming out. Uh, it's 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 good, you know. With, with I'm Mexican American, we we're hardworking people. So for me, I'm used to having more than one job. Oh, that's working through the A. <laughs> I, just, I hear them in the background. It's kind of funny. I hear the background. Yeah, that's my uh, wife and her sister. They're uh, doing a lot of work. <laughs> so hearing it. Well. Yeah. I want to allow you to get back to your life, your family. Uh, I want to say so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Uh, again, thank you for the George Latino Film Festival. Uh, thank you, the Lounge yeah. Network, and thank you, Rick Nahara. Uh, so, um, I'll be coming out to the Georgia Latino Film Festival. It looks like. What was that? They're trying to get me out there, so I'm, I may be coming out to the Georgia Latino Film Festival. Excellent, that would be awesome. I would love to see you there. So, and then we can probably do, do a little live thing. 
<laughs> a little yeah, bit more personal. We we get more tech support. That's all we need. But thank you, everyone. And follow me at Rick Nahara on Twitter and all that stuff. And check out my website. And just good night, everybody. LatinoThoughtMakers.com. And hopefully I'll be, I'll be doing something with you on that. So that'll be awesome as well. So thank you everybody who's watching. Thank you guys who have shared and thank you, uh, all those who will watch the replay in the next couple of days. Um, if it's great, as great as, uh, Isai is, it'll be fantastic. And hopefully we'll double and triple that, uh, even, uh, as well. So, and, uh, don't forget go to the YouTube page, please subscribe. And, um, and that's it, everybody. Thank you everyone. Have a great night. Now my, I'm losing my voice now. <laughs> Thanks, Carlos. All right. Bye. Have a great night. Take care, guys. Good evening. We have a chance to really say something different that no one's ever said before. You're in for an evening of great conversation. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Rick Nahara. This is a program started by people of color reaching across the board, talking to people, and starting Latino Thought Makers. Because what this is, is our community meeting. Mainstream media thinks that we're all one person, and we're not. We're very diverse, and we come in all shapes and colors and all ideas, and we each have a brain of our own. Latino Thought Makers are important because it's a live setting. And you can see the process that they went through to arrive at the creation of their art, and now they're imparting that to you. And it's an, it's an empowering thing. This is our Latino living room, basically. And in this living room, we're all friends and family, and we're going to have a discussion tonight. And I want to show Latinos that we are always the solution, we are never the problem. Unless we experience each other's journey, we will never know how to truly love and respect each other. And a lot of times you see us in the media, we're portrayed in one way, but I know who how we are. And we should recognize what Latinos have done for this community and for all America. Latino thought makers, get inspired. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, folks. This is Carlos Phoenix, and I am here representing the Georgia Latina Film Festival and the Lounge Network. And I am with uh, today a special guest uh, coming straight from California, from L.A. His name is Rick Nahara. And, uh, Rick, I'm just going to put you on camera and, and say hello to everybody. Carlos, how are you? Hello, everybody in America and the world and all places in galaxies not even discovered. This is going out to all the people. I'm trying to speak as serious as possible with this feeling of a speech, if almost presidential, if you will. 
Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, um, uh, Rick is a comedian, a writer. Um, I would almost call him a poet, uh, playwright, producer, director. He's basically he's a I'm a award winner. Uh, I can go on and on and on. Is there anything I missed? Uh, no, that's that's a really good intro. I I feel humbled by it. Of course, uh, I worked really hard, and uh, I I I I'm happy to have it. Thank you. It's nice, Carlos. It was really sweet of you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you did all the work, so um, I'm just pointing. I out. did all the work, Carlos, and I want you to remember that. <laughs> exactly. Like you coming up in this business, just nipping at my heels. Well, um, so uh, I also mentioned comedian. I think um, so. That's. Uh, uh, the gist of what's coming out right now. I, I do comedy for my wife all the time, and she doesn't laugh. It's sad. So she. she oh, I, I have the same problem here at home. <laughs> you only have the same problem. I don't get any you know, laughter except when I like I'm in a store or. I'm, in, I'm the same way. One of my kids, I'll tell them jokes, and they'll, like, I'll tell them a bedtime story, and I'll be really sweet, and I'll talk to them, and they'll get upset, and I'll go, "Hey, people pay a lot of money for that same story," and I storm out of the room. I don't know if that's bad parenting. Oh, I'm not sure about that, but uh, it, um, you should hear my bedtime stories. They're pretty bad. Well, okay, so let's let's start with that. Um, so let, let's start with your youth, since, since you brought it up. Uh, tell my me youth? about you. What was it like growing up? Growing up a small, small Mexican child among a lot of large Mexicans around me, of course, uh, you're fighting for the food all the time. Um, you're waking up in the morning. The banditos are invading your village. It's always tough. Uh, no, it was, uh, I grew up in La Mesa, which was actually what they do is they named, I grew up in La Mesa next to El Cajon, which means the box near Chula Vista, which means the pretty view and, uh, which the Spanish missionaries really didn't name anything really well. Just really simple things like El Cajon, the <laughs> box, La Mesa, the table. So I grew up there 15 miles from the border. And so, uh, uh, I was close to the border, so I grew up in the whole world, and I, I grew up on a border. So I think it helped make who I am. I realized that bridges are more important than walls. Awesome. Uh, now, uh, now in your uh, youth um, that you've described, uh, did you, were you with both parents, or uh, how did that work? I was I was very lucky to have both parents in the home. Hey. I, well, I, yeah, I mean, you know I'm you know the story this. now. So so mother stays home to take care of the family. Uh, the yeah. father crosses the border. You know works for his family, you know, and you haven't seen I, your father in ten years. I, I, I saw La Misma Luna. It was touching, and I saw uh, a lot of those films. But uh, my family was my mother and father were great parents and really cool. Um, you know very. Very Mexican. My father was extremely Mexican, you know, very Mexicano. But um, my mother was from Boone, Iowa. So she was Mexican, too. I want to tell people that. Because people were like, Boone, Iowa, did that make you half Mexican? I go, no, I'm full Mexican. Not that that's that difficult a thing to be. But uh, my uh, mother was from Boone, Iowa, because basically my family, her side of the family, went up um, in, the, in the train. And they said they were treated very rudely in Texas. They fell asleep in the train. They woke up in Boone, Iowa, and they said, screw it. Let's just stay here. That's all there is to it. And they're in Boone, Iowa. So I grew up on flour tortillas. Uh, I, you know, I grew up in ham, string beans, ambrosia salad, all the Midwestern food just wrapped in a flour tortilla. That's the best way to describe it. That was my childhood. And I grew up in both worlds. My family started a, a barrio called Logan Heights. So, and then my mother quickly moved me into La Mesa, which was really nice and upper middle class. And, but we were still poor. We were like 
five kids in one bedroom, my parents in the other bedroom. And uh, down the street lived a kid on a chicken ranch, and up the street lives another Mexican family. So we were rare. There's about three of us of families. But that kid who lived down the street is Juan Vargas. He's a congressman now. And the other is uh, Elena Choa, the first Mexican-American astronaut. So I had some good people to grow up with. Now, that's a, that's impressive. Um, I have a similar story, but I'm not going to get into that now. <laughs> a lot of my friends, oh, yeah. so we went to an art high school together, and uh, some of them are Disney directors. Some of them are way more famous than I could ever be. So I, well, I you, can But you're happy. You're, they, a lot of those guys, a lot of people think success makes you happy. It doesn't. It doesn't. So if you're feeling that you may not be as successful, but you're happy, then you've won. That's what I always tell people because people are like, you know – there no one in Hollywood thinks they're successful. Everyone in Hollywood thinks they're not successful. And people are away from Hollywood think, man, I wish I was in Hollywood. But the truth is no one in Hollywood is from Hollywood. We're all from Atlanta and everywhere else. I'm from San Diego. So I try to put it in perspective. Now, um, you have worked on the uh, Diversity Showcase. Yes. And I'm showing a clip uh, here of uh, one of the comedy skits that you've done. That's uh, from a Showtime special I did uh, called Legally Brown. Um, Legally Brown is on Showtime. It had Tony Plana, myself, Crystal, Crystal Alonzo, uh, a lot of different people. But my character, Buford Gomez, actually did on Broadway, was a character that was a right-wing Border Patrol agent, which I grew up on the border. So I ran into a lot of right-wing Border Patrol agents. They all had Texas accents. But like, hi, my name is Buford Gomez. And they talked like that. And I look at them and think, wow, they look more Mexican than I do. Why am I being pulled over? You know, they walk up with that whole, you know, oh, uh, let's see that carte de verde. And I look at them and just be like, he looked like Moctezuma, like that kind of Mexican brown. I mean, that, that dark Yucatan brown. And I was not quite that because I'm, I'm güero, as you know, right. which means uh, tall, good-looking, uh, light-skinned Latino man. It's a güero meets. It's not me. It's my people. Right, no, I get that. Now, um, that that's probably where you got your title for your book, uh, Almost White, because you're you're yeah. a very light-skinned, kind of like I am, a light-skinned Latino, where people well, look at me and they don't have no clue that I'm, I'm Latino. Yeah, but that's we're called undercover Latinos. And undercover meaning that every culture has groups within their cultures that are lighter-skinned. So they can be outside the camp to bust the other ones out. And I'm guess I'm that guy. Yeah, and uh, I get to sneak around, and if people are talking in Spanish, yeah. I can kind of spy and listen in and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah we're the double-o uh, double cholo uh, double <laughs> exactly. of the spy world of Latinos. <laughs> James this is raw. Rano. I talked to you totally raw, I'll just be myself. So this is not <laughs> no. This is not. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And here's what I'm, I want people to go to, to our uh, Latino Thoughtmaker channel and uh, subscribe to Latino Thoughtmakers. I'm asking you to do that right now. I am begging my people to subscribe because I need to learn about social media. All right. So let me elaborate on that. So um, so uh, we're going to get into this conversation about uh, something he's got called Latino Thoughtmakers. And uh, we'll get into what it's about and stuff like that. But he's had his YouTube channel for some time. And what we want to do is um, allow you guys to follow the important information that he has with uh, the Latino thought makers and allow um, and, and basically 
if you can go to the page, if you look at the description, I actually have the YouTube page listed there. And I just need you to click on that and hit subscribe. That would help us so much in terms of some of his mission, such as having more viewers. <laughs> yes, that would really help me a lot. But more importantly, I think people need to know Latino Thought Breaks is an important yes. kind of show. This is my daughter's. This is this is the these are my daughters. Hi. Hey, hello. How are you? You guys want to talk Spanish just to prove you're Mexican? Hola. 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 Como estas? Como están? Bien, bien. Okay. That, that was sending them to a multi-language cultural school since they were born. Now, no, multicultural learning center. They were, they were indoctrinated. I was like, they learned the Spanish through waterboarding. It's like agua, agua. They learned all that. Well, so what's your attitude on that? Um, so I have a child. She was born. Both my wife and I are Latinos. But we only yes. spoke English in the household. And Shameful. now, it's, now it's, it is. I know. I know. I know. No, I, I think people got to get over that. First of all, uh, I was on Despair to America one time, and people were like, we're surprised how horrible your Spanish was, Rick. <laughs> so, I was like, look, number one, 10% of Mexico doesn't speak Spanish. They speak indigenous languages. So not even all of Mexico speaks Spanish. And if you go to Spain, people speak Catalan. They speak all sorts of different dialects. So... Most people are fairly, um, you know, multilingual and, you know, not pure whatever Spanish is. And it really, the culture isn't purely about the language. It's, it never has been because uh, we're a very diverse culture. I've got families from Chihuahua, Mexico. So Chihuahua, my grandmother was Tarumura uh, Apache, and so she was dark. My grandfather was very wet and light and blue-eyed. He had blue-eyed. And so if you go to Chihuahua, there's Germans, there's French, there's all sorts of people. So there's a mixture. And we've always been a mixture of people. So my kids are even Mexicans. So they're a mixture. So no, I always tell Latinos, the least thing is always love everything about yourself. Don't figure how, how much more Latino could I be or what could I know or whatever. Just be who you are and, and, and celebrate your, your uniqueness. Because I can tell people my bad speaking Spanish is actually true of the Chicano experience in America. And so you not speaking Spanish as your home is true. Well, when I do, they don't. Yeah. But yeah, but, uh, but we spoke English in the household. We watched TV, uh, which was English and stuff like that. Now, yeah. all right, so uh, you're young. But, you, but you, you don't forget your culture and who you are. Correct. There's a difference. And so we all are, are uh, reflections of that culture, which is a very multicultural, diverse culture as well. The last full-blooded Chicano type was Moctezuma. He wore feathers and slippers and they stoned him in uh, Mexico City, so I'm okay. It's I'm documented. Okay. It's documented. So you just love all of you because we're, we're a very mixed culture. So I, I love my diversity. That's why I work in diversity. So th that's my one of my questions. Yes. You got into entertainment how? How did that start? Um, I was a kid. I was, uh, my father took me to a, a a, a movie, and it was a Shakespearean type film with uh, called Cromwell with Richard Harris, and I was like looking, it's like the red velour curtains opened up, and there was this British men speaking so eloquently, there will be justice, and and I looked and I said, wow, my father turned to me and he said, if you could speak beautifully like that, I'd be so proud of you. So I was like, hey, well, in that case, make my dad proud of, of doing anything. So I started reading Shakespeare. 
And I had memorized Shakespeare. I went to the Old Globe Theater when I was something like 17. I was really young. It was a Globe Education tour. They're doing Romeo and Juliet. And so I just did soliloquy from Romeo. And they gave me a job. And I was working the Old Globe for over a year and did all the shows. And um, I think I did three shows that year. And then I worked at San Diego Rep. And I worked all the theaters until finally coming to Hollywood. So that's how I got started, making my dad proud. My parents proud, which is a very Latino thing. We always love to make our family proud. And then were they supportive of that? Oh, yeah. That's very cool. much so. It's extremely. Uh, my dad was very proud of everything I did. My, and I came from tough guys. My, my grandfather was a cockfighter, raised fighting cocks. He was, you know, went to prison for it. Uh, my dad was tough, too. He'd gone to Vietnam and World War II. So there I am wearing tights and with a sword in my hand. <laughs> so, I, I kind of slung the tights down a little lower to look cool, you know, like a little street swag. But, um, you know, the, I, luckily I had very tough macho Latino guys that uh, allowed me to be who I was, which was theater. You know, I, I, I fell in love with theater at a young age, and and luckily um, everyone encouraged it. There was no sense of, you know, even me singing musicals and doing stuff like that. I was in the San Diego Civic Youth Ballet, so my dad was like... That's my boy. I love that game. He's a good kid. So they were happy. I, I, I embraced the art. So they, I never felt them ever going, no. All the, all those, they did say one thing. You got to make money. My dad was like, uh, you know, was never, uh, you know, he's going to pay for college or any of that stuff. They just said, look, you like, you like art, then make them, make them pay you for it. So my first job, I actually asked for money and I got it. So I've been paid ever since. And so was there ever a time of just struggle? Always a time of struggle. It's, it's never stops. You know, it's, it's, there, there's a, you know, you're in Hollywood and the only thing's different. You, you, you go against more famous people and richer people every time. Like I lose jobs to Seth MacFarlane, you know, um, that's the difference. You know, it's, it is kind of a little bit of like a jungle analogy that Hollywood, um, um, no lion retires in the Serengeti. No gazelle says, I'm just, I'm done. I made enough, got enough hay. I'm going to relax. So you're always constantly topping yourself or doing something different and something unique. And there is a real hustle to it. And, uh, you know, I'm being totally honest because I'm at home and I can be raw. Uh, but you, you, you gotta make a living. You know, you it is, it's a miracle. I've made a living for so long and, and done really well. All right. So, so I'm very, very blessed as a, as a Latino. Um, yes. It, of course, that's kind of almost working against the grain in the entertainment industry how do you feel you were able to kind of outmaneuver that? Because you're, you're pretty well-known and high-ranked in, in terms of uh, the way people may look at Hollywood. Uh, as a writer, you've, you've, done, uh, you've written for Mad TV, you've written for In Living Color, you've written for a lot of well-known uh, yeah. shows. Yeah, East Los High. I just did two seasons of East Los High, which was great, for right. Hulu. And I've currently been at CBS for 13 years, and... I had a show on Broadway, and I think I'm there's only one of three Latinos ever wrote and started a play on Broadway. I'm one of them. Um, Lin Miranda, John Leguizamo, and me. There's, there's, it's not a big group, but now he's he's doing a third one, isn't he? Which one, Lin? I'm sure no, John. He is. Oh, John. Yeah, I'm sure he, he will. I have to do one too. I got to do another one. <laughs> the top one. <laughs> Working on that now. I, I cannot. It's just the competition level. Jeez. 
I think I've, I've done really well. Now he's doing thirds, and now I got to catch up to him. I got to get my second one on. Right. So the competition is difficult. It's really hard. It's like every time they do something bigger, I'm like, oh man, I did only 137 performances of Broadway. He did, you know, 400. You know, it's all that kind of competition. And uh, but that's we. If you're an artist, you really kind of create your own competition in your head. You know, your real competition is yourself. So uh, this is the Latino Thought Makers. Tell us a little bit about um, the Thought Makers. Well, Latino Thought Makers started about three years ago. And uh, it really started because I just start, started hearing a lot of bad, negative things about Latinos. You know, I've heard it for a long time, actually. Since about 1800s, I've been hearing it. Uh, and so what I wanted to do with Latino Thought Makers was, was to show a positive view of Latinos. And... Uh, really show Latinos as the solution, not the problem. Because all I kept hearing, you know, oh, these undocumented people are such a strain on our society. I'm like, wait, we're like the sixth largest economy in the world, or six to eight, and we have two million undocumented people in our 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 state, and we're that rich? Obviously, they're not hurting us. They're actually helping us. 50% of all their agriculture is, is made by people that are undocumented. And that feeds most of America. So, you know, we're doing all this work. And uh, we, I wanted to be recognized. That's what Latino Thought Makers is about. And that's why I, I go out and speak a lot and, and do uh, shows. And, and I've spoken at Harvard, Stanford. I've been on NPR, a lot of different things. But just a simple, a very simple thing of, of Latinos are the solution. We're the ones. We're the young demographic. We're, we're the people that are going to fix the world. And uh, if you, if you, how well we're educated versus incarcerated will decide all our futures. I can see my book up there. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, now you have this, nice. uh, your book, uh, Almost White. Yes. And um, you had discussed, for example, having a seizure, and you fell and you split your head open, and, of course, nearly yes. losing your life. And now it's years later, because this happened some time ago now, uh, you've had a second chance at life. Now, what noticeable changes do you feel you've contributed in your mission since then? Man, that's a tough question. You really got me. You were just, you're tearing, breaking me down in this interview. You were, you just, you, you just always at my heels. I can see competition there. Uh, what is, what is, what is, what is, what is uh, change? I, I, you know, you know, I'm glad you asked me that because no, no one really ever asked me that. It's really true. <laughs> I call it, I call it the Lazarus effect. This is the Lazarus effect, you know. Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb. You know, you're alive. Lazarus gets home and someone goes, oh, you got to get your taxes done. And so Lazarus is like, okay, I got to get my taxes done. There I go. Well, wait, you know, and it's the same thing. You, you were, I was at death's door three times, actually. I was, uh, the first time when I'm, it, it wasn't a seizure. It was actually a, uh, I guess it, well, I had a problem that they didn't know, understand in my brain. It was an, called encephalocele. It's a leakage in the brain. And it wasn't diagnosed. So one night, since I had this leakage in my brain, I, I actually developed a fever. Um, they don't know what kind of fever it was. But when you have nothing protecting your brain, you can get really sick. And so I, I got 110, whatever, 13 degree fevers. fever. And I actually had a seizure then. That was a seizure. I fell down. I hit my head. Uh, in my home, I was alone. I, I had a maid who uh, called my wife and said, Mr. Rick is very sick. And I hate saying maid because he's really just a friend. 
and she told me called my wife and my wife's like uh you know, knock on his door. And she's like, and I kept saying, go, go away. I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm just sick. And as I was getting, I was getting more and more sick till finally I had a seizure and they found me in a, a in my bed in a pool of blood. And, uh, it looked like I'd, it had been a, a hate crime or something. You know, people didn't know what happened to me. You know, a lot of people were, were wondering. I, I was kind of thinking, wow, if it was a hate crime, this is going to be great publicity. Boy, if I make it, I'll be like, you know, hey, let's increase the peace. Come on, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But it was overworking with this problem. So I was in a coma for three weeks off, on and off. Um, and then a week later, my when I came out of it, I found they take a, a tube down my throat and they took it out and I could speak. The first joke I said was the nurse was there and I walk, she walks up to me, surprised I could speak. And I go, do you know how to get a man out of a coma? And I bring her down. She comes down to go, do you know how to get a man out of a coma? Give him Viagra. That'll get him up. And then I went immediately under. So it was, you know, at that level, my joking was not where I am now. It was basically that kind of humor. But they remember, they're like, oh, it just came back. What happened? And then I started coming back. But every time I came back, I started reciting, reciting Shakespeare. Because I knew Shakespeare so deeply in my soul. And then people would come to visit me, and they would tell me I'd said these really profound, cool conversations when I started coming out. But it took a, a long time. And, in fact, a week later, after coming out of the coma, I spoke at the World Bank, which is a YouTube channel. You can see me speaking at the World Bank. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I don't remember it because I'd only been out for a week. So it was, it was pretty traumatic and I had to keep working. Um, wow. cause in Hollywood, no one likes to know that you're sick because the rumors were, you know, what everything, what happened to Rick? Oh my God. You know, what, what happened? And, uh, no one ever looks at the lion and says, that's a, that, that wounded lion is such a noble beast. They, that's when the jackals come in and kill you. So I had to really recover fast. And uh, kept it very secret in Hollywood. Um, my wife's a publicist, so she, she put like a no visit clause and all sorts of stuff, so people didn't know. Eventually, uh, I, I decided to talk about it in my book because my publisher came and they said, "You know, where have you been? Where have you been? No one knows where you're at. Just, we're all terribly worried about you." And I'm, you know, newly out of a coma, going, "I was in a coma, but I'm okay." Uh, I just give me, what am I doing? She goes, you're, you're speaking at the World Bank. And I go, okay, how much am I making? And they told me, and I was like, I need medical bills. <laughs> I'll be here. So I look like one of those 80s, you know, uh, action movie stars when they start taking out their own, you know, uh, pulling out all the stuff off of them, you know, pulling everything out, out of them and getting up to go with that one last fight. So that was the World Bank for me. So, and I had to make a conscious choice to, to walk and live. You know, it was really strange being in a coma. People go, what do you remember? I mean, I do remember out of my body a lot. And, uh, but most I remember having is to, to say, get up. You got to get up. You got to get up for your family. So back to the question. Okay. What so, I, so, what so I, that, I mean, that's the story and it's very traumatic. It's very, uh, it's in the book. So if anybody wants to pick up the book, but yeah, I, was, um, I, was just, I was just reading it out loud. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was the word for word verbatim. Um, no, so wait, I, wait. I know you had. I, I know you've been on that mission of uh, helping the Latin market. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the diversity uh, 
stuff that you were doing with CBS. But but then this happens. And at what point did you say, well, I got to get back on mission? And if so, then then where did uh, what, what kind of things have happened since then? Well, you know, you're as an artist, you, you grow in what your mission is. I mean, basically, I first started acting to meet girls. That was about it, you know. <laughs> and then later on, it becomes more, you know, you, you grow up. And, uh, and then I turned into what the mission was, was really what all every artist's mission is, is to, to look at the world and, and show people things they haven't seen. You know, show them not not to see the world as it is, but as it should be. As in a quote, I remember reading that one time. But remember, it's not to see the world as it is, but as it should be. It's not to see the world as how Latinos should be, as how they should be treated, how it should be better. So for me, a lot of it, it was a reinforcement of the mission. And the book really came from the fact that I, I nearly died. And I thought, I want to leave something for my children. I want them to to really know me, you know, if I'm not gone. At that time, my kids were like eight, 10, 11, and, and they would have missed out on me. So I really wanted something to leave them. And I had a great father and I loved him very much. And I have a great mother and a great family. So I wanted them to have that. So I really had a drive to write the book. And the mission has changed in this way that I realized there was a, there's an expiration date on me and, uh, there's an expiration date on all of us and to look at the world and, and to see who we are and to live in the now, live in the now, just truly being gracious and grateful to your world. And to be more loving and kinder than the next guy next to you to, to, to really be the solution, not the problem. So if anything, you know, it made me a lot more loving and caring. It really did. I mean, it made me look at people that were, that I were in the, I was in the hospital seeing people dying and, and, you know, and I'd see stories and I would, really just look at the humanity and realize how lucky I had been because, you know, there was a, a woman, a very great actress, Lupe Ontiveros, and she died. Um, and I remember she called me and I was in the hospital and I saved the recording. It says, you know, Rick, I've heard about your accident and it's unfortunate, but I know we're, I'm praying for you. We'll get through this together. Oh. And she said that. And then like a month later, she had cancer and she knew it. Oh. So she was saying for both of us, you're going to make it and I'm going to make it. And they had that hope, but she was thinking about me and knowing that she had cancer at the time, thinking about me and calling me up really was just a remarkably beautiful thing to happen. And I'll always remember that. And I remember visiting her hospital before she died. I think I was one of the last people to see her. And, you know, I, I, you, you see someone that you, you care about, you know, and she's dying and you, you racked with guilt. Cause it's like, why didn't, why didn't I die? You know, so many people are good people didn't die, and yet I lived. So I have survivor guilt to this day, but part of the way to knock away survivor guilt is giving a little bit more to the world. So I do have that in my head. Yeah, you you were given a second chance. What are you going to do with it? And sometimes I go, I go, man, God brought me back for this? <laughs> so I, I, you know, sometimes when I make mistakes or, and I, you know, I wonder because it, it is a, it really is a gift, but. It, it took me to be in a coma to wake up, to realize that life is a gift and, and truly love it, truly love your life. Well, I thank you for that. Yeah. You worked on the diversity showcase uh, for many, many years in CBS. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stars brought it out of that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Are you still working on the showcase? 
Yes, I am. I'm still, I'm still in the showcase. I was just in auditions all day. So like I, my mind's a little, uh, burnt out because when you're auditions and I work with some really great people, there's some really good people that I work with that, you know, cause they're also part of the problem. You know, we're, we're in Hollywood. We're, we're the solution and we're the problem at the same time. And, and I don't think people in Hollywood truly are out to get minorities. And this, a lot of times they don't understand us. And I, I, I really look at it and I go, if you knew us, you would love us. As weird as that sounds to say, and, and what Latino Thought Maker is about is getting people to know us and, and know who we are, you know, good, bad, and, and indifferent of, of who we are as a people because we're, we're very much human. And uh, a lot of people don't see it that way. So diversity is important. You know, people come out of the show, Kate McKenna, who's on um, McKenna News on um, Saturday Night Live. Right. Um, uh, Tiffany Haddish, who's in the Girl Trip. She's the lead of that. She's a great actress. Randall Park, who's the lead of Fresh Off the Boat. Justin Hires, who's in Hawaii Five-O, MacGyver, everything. Um, about 65 series regulars. Four have gone on to Saturday Night Live. Four have gone on The Daily Show and four have gone on The Mad TV, all directed by me. And it's a program that's very intense. I, I Basically, it's me teaching acting and writing everything I know for almost six months. Wow. Well, so it's, it's a very intense program. Yeah, I, I know you've uh, auditioned for it. I've watched I some of your. 23. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Twenty five hundred people auditioned for it. I choose maybe twenty three. Me and oh. the executive vice president of casting, Fern Orenstein, along with everyone else, because there's pl plenty of input. It's very collaborative. I know um, part of your, I guess, your teaching philosophy has to do with comedy or laughter, and yeah. um, how that is like the peak of the emotions that an actor can go through. Now, you must have seen one of my, my videotapes. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Um, it's like, it's like, being <laughs> I don't know you at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. You're doing, you're doing research. I can see you are good. You are good. Um, uh, I, a, a lot of times you, you know, what laughter is in comedy is it's the highest forms of emotion, you know, uh, Comedy is a very intelligent person's game. You know, it is. Um, and that's why when you see Latinos on television or film, a lot of times we're doing drama, and which I think is ridiculous because we're far more funny as a people than dramatic. Um, telenovelas just, you know, we joke about them. But on the truth is our comedy, I've, I've, you know, I mean, the saddest times you'll see Latinos, they're going to be laughing. They're going to be joking. Um, you know, there's an earthquake that happened in Mexico City and there was a rock star got killed and one of the people joked was like he died of a cement overdose that was the joke and there's that gallows humor comedy that Latinos were always laughing we're always thinking something's funny or unique or we, we love life you know that's a big part of us that and laughter is part of that life so it's not um it's not the drama that people remember of us or really it's the humor because that's what we should talk about, how great we have is humor. So, I, I, you know, just like a musical, it, and the emotion gets so strong, you have to laugh. And the emotion gets so strong in terms of, of the human experience that you have, you have to laugh as well. So it's, it's involuntary. It's, it's, it's an involuntary action. Now, uh, I want to thank everybody that's watching. We're not done yet, but I want to thank everybody that's watching. If you guys are watching and enjoying the content, please share, because that's how we get the word out. That's how people can interact and ask questions and stuff like that live. I am keeping an eye on the comments. Uh, I'm sure everybody's enjoying 
uh, our stories that we're sharing today. Um, so, Rick, uh, so a, a number of years ago, and yes, I've been kind of reading up on you and stuff like that, uh, you had mentioned that we need more Latin or more diverse writers. Um, and the thing is, uh, I'm sure years ago uh, that was a big deal in terms of getting writers uh, for television and stuff like that, but everything's kind of shifting, including this this episode here. We're doing this live online and stuff like that. So. Uh, where do you begin to make those changes, or where do you begin to try and inspire new writers to to talk about uh, their diversity in a world of the digital age, where everybody's just kind of caught up in their phones and staring at Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that? Uh, when back in the day, it used to be more like, well, here's a book, read it, and get inspired. How do you think we can influence? I mean, I, I, I think we have a lot of... Um you know, ability to connect to people on a, on a, on a worldwide, because of the web, you know, this is like, remember 13 years ago, I remember I met my wife, I asked her on a date and I'd never used an email before. So I wrote a, you know, I was like, Hey, you want to go on a date? And I didn't even know how to use it. And all of a sudden the email comes back and I'm like, wow, it's a mail. I had to click on it. And all of a sudden it says, yeah, sure. Let's go to Horton Plaza <laughs> someplace for, for a drink or coffee. And I was, and that was my first inter, internet experience was my wife asking around. And so, and then now look at 13 years later, I'm, I'm actually writing a show that was on Hulu, seen by millions of people. I also worked for Ray Williams Johnson, who came through the CBS program. He has 12 million subscribers. He's one guy. So that's changing a lot of it. It's, it's connecting to people in a way, but it's also finding the audience that knows what you're about. Um, when I first started out, I started doing theater. I could afford theater. You know, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't compete against CBS or ABC and just do my own pilot on my network. But I could afford a, a show. And so my first show was Latin's Anonymous. It was the name of it. It was like a 12 step program gone wrong. So I, I go, hi, my name's Rick and I admit I'm a Latino. And I go in this whole monologue. But the show became a hit. And, uh, and so I sold uh, a pilot from it. Uh, for Universal Studios. So I knew that with a $1,200 budget, I could make something, make uh, a living doing, you know, when I would get an equity job and then I would get a playwright, uh, I would get a percentage of the gross so I could make a living. And so then I started figuring, oh, well, I'll, I'll write and star in it. I'll, I'll do all that. Because basically, you know, I came from working class people that were, they don't mind you being an actor, you just got to get paid. I mean, they couldn't even fathom. Like, you wouldn't be a, you wouldn't be a guy going, "I'm a carpenter. I love being a carpenter, and one day I'm gonna get paid as a carpenter." You got paid, and so they were very much, and because of that, it, it put in a sense of me as a producer that I wanted to entertain people. My first two plays were actually dramas, and uh, did very well critically. People liked it, but people walked out of there depressed as hell. And I didn't get a lot of ticket sales. My next play was a comedy because I realized that's really what I should do. Hmm. Now you, um, you've had some really inspiring conversations with some of the top or most recognized Latin, uh, actors and stuff. Uh, as I was showing, uh, this very well-known actor, Trello and Danny, Danny Trejo and Dolores Huerta and Edward James Olmos and, Virtually everyone, you know. And, yeah, I, saw, uh, I just earlier showed Cheech. And it, it's amazing how, I mean, they, to me, for me, 
and, and I don't even think about it in terms of Latino, they're embedded in my, my youth and my culture and my growing up in filmmaking. Yeah, um, so, and mine too. I mean, and I don't, but I don't think about it. I like, like, I don't step back and say, those are my, my Latino folks. I just think of them as those are really talented guys that I'm a big fan of. And then it wasn't until I started watching some of your reels that I'm like, that's right. They're Latino. And, it, and it, yeah. it's just wild because even as a Latino, I don't think about uh, things of that nature, like, you know, about the d diversity. It's not, I'm not always sitting around, walking around thinking diversity. Um, no, no, one, no, I'm more no aware of it happen. now than, than almost yeah. ever. It's it, in a lot of ways in America didn't want you to think about diversity. They didn't want you to think. I mean, even the right wingers now are going, oh, identity politics, identity politics. But we've always had identity politics. I mean, we went from a British colony to going, our new identity is American. So, you know, and then we went from the southern states became, you know, a, a part of America and the northern states. And then there was a succession. They tried to win the Civil War. We've always had an identity. And, and it's it's part of who we are. The only people who don't like identity is when all of a sudden they start to feel their minorities, which a lot of the white guys have felt that way. So they're like, oh, no identity politics. We're all just white and American, right? But that's too late. The and and you think not. that's part of the flare-up that occurred in the past few days? Yeah. I, you know, I think uh, a lot of it is. It's, it's you know, look at the guy who, who ran the, the car into the people, allegedly. I'll, I'll use network standards, who allegedly <laughs> drove a car into a group of anti-demonstrators. Now, the thing is what they said is that, and I'm very politically thinking. My, my cousin's married to Cesar Chavez's daughter. I, I'm on the board of field. I, I come from a political background as well. And I look at these questions and I say, there are people that are saying, we want to take away your rights. We're going to take away your right to be a, a black person in America or a Latino person in America or an immigrant in Paris. We want to take away your rights. And there's people just saying, we want to have our rights. So when you look at guys like, you know, KKK and uh, the alt-rights and all these people, they're trying to drag all of us back to a time when we were not at our best. America was basically created in a lot of ways on racism. And we have to admit it. We have to sit there and go, the reason southern states were very wealthy because they had slaves. The reason the Southwest, we took it to Southwest from Mexico. We did a lot of things. Now, I'm not saying that we're a perfect nation in any way, but I love this nation and I, uh, deeply, and my family's died for this country. I think what's great about us is we're progressive. We're trying to become better than who we were. That's what the hallmark of America is. We're trying to be better than who we are. We want our children to have a better life than we did. We want all those things. Everyone does. We immigrated this country for that very same reason. And then you have people that want to go back to an old time that, that when America, when they say is great. Now, if you look at that and you go, when was America great? When they were uh, deporting a million Mexicans back to Mexico um, and 60% of them were American citizens? That happened during the 40s. Was it great when um, uh, Mexican-American women were, were sterilized in, in East L.A. clinics because they didn't know what they were reading and they just had them sign a consent form because they believe in, in uh, a pure race? That was really what was behind of, of stopping people of us breeding. There's horrible programs that were done uh, and, and, and crimes against diverse people in this country. It's not saying... All white people are bad, but you have to admit when, when, when you've done something in the past to go overcome it, to go to a better future for all of us. 
And you know, something is, I have, uh, I have, I'm married to an Anglo woman. She's Irish and white and she's beautiful. And yeah, no, <laughs> don't tell the press, hold the presses. Whoa, Mr. Chicago <laughs> we, guy. We finished this interview. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with you. You said that. No, it's, it's, you know, there's no such thing as a pure Mexican. There's, and you know, we're, we've always been a diverse culture and we've always intermingled and we're a, we're a romantic culture. We speak a romance language. We get Spanish. We're, we're cool people. Um, and we, um, have, what life does, life interbreeds and changes and, and it's, it's hard to be kept in a little box. You know, it's like even the Cro-Magnon men and the Homo sapiens interbred. You know, they were, you know, you got to be, this is before alcohol was even invented. I know, right? So when you think about that, there's no beer goggles back then. Yeah, they could have been mushrooms. So there's, there's, yeah, some guy's looking <laughs> going, you know, that cruel magnet woman, she's kind of thick. I like her. <laughs> then, so thick. it's, it, yeah, thick, she's thick. She's got that hairy body. I like it. Ah, you know. <laughs> Man, you see her take down that buffalo with her hands. <laughs> Gotta have that. Jeez. So, you know, it's it's just, it's it's how DNA and genetics and how we do. We're life. That's what we want to do. We want to create more of it. People that are not progressive who sit there and say we're going to build a wall to stop the people, they say walls don't work. You know, I grew up on a border border with a wall, and it didn't work. And I don't care what it has not work. No, I mean they, they took no, down the German wall. I mean, come on. No, the Great Wall of China was put up to stop the Mongol invaders. Well, guess what? There's a Mongol emperor on the throne of China within a generation. So the wall didn't work. So walls don't work. It's bridges work. It's, it's interacting with people. So that way they're not the enemy, but they're part of us. There's, there's absorption of cultures and, and cultures that are exchanging all the time. I look at, look at Anglo cultures just on TV, white Hollywood America. I saw a commercial for tahini, which is a Mexican spice. And so this Mexican spice called tahini, they're like, hey, hey, Sally, have you heard about this new thing called tahini? What is it? I don't know. Let's try it on watermelon. <laughs> I'm like, wait, hey, wait a minute. We, we've been doing that for, for a long time. What are you talking about? <laughs> so, you know, but then again, I'm having, you know, tonight I'm going to have some pasta, you know, with pesto. Oh. And, you know, it's, it's, I know, I know, didn't have chilaquiles or menudo. I've, you know, I, I, I love those things, but people, people don't understand we're all in cultural uh, evolution. Every one of us in cultural evolution. But you look at the people back, what happened in Charlotte, the guy that allegedly ran through a car, through people who failed to stop it. Look at his life. They, I think he was a, uh, maybe a, a security guard or something like that. He was 20 years old. He failed going into the army. He came out. Um, he'd been in the army for four months and got washed out or whatever. This is what I was reading. And he's making $600 every two weeks. Not exactly a rich guy. And yet, who's he looking to? He, he, his avoid in his life, he has to feel. He feels that the American dream is passing him up, but he's got to blame someone. And so who do you blame? You blame all the people that, that you're not even around. You don't even know. You're thinking some Mexican guy's taking your job. I've never been at CBS and entertainment where I turn around, there's a guy with a bag of oranges hand going, I, I took your job over. It's mine. You know, I, it's weird. They just gave me your job. It's, you know, that's not happening. I, I don't know. We, we um, need that. I find it unusual when I go to a Chinese restaurant and there's Mexican cooks in the back. They're, they're, they are taking a few Chinese jobs. That's <laughs> true. But then again, 
gone to some Mexican restaurants, you might see a Chinese chef back there. Well, the best That's Chinese true. food actually is a Tijuana. People don't realize that. If you go to on the border, you grow up on the border, Mexicali, Tijuana, great Chinese food because they were the Chinese that couldn't get the green card to cross over. They stayed there, built themselves a great life, and have some of the best Chinese restaurants around. And you go to Cuba, you ever see Chinese Cubanos? You know, that, that exists. We're, we're a very mixed culture, and that's our strength, not is our diversity. That's our power. That's why I think diversity is important, because when you keep someone from their, their truly who they can be, we're stopping and we're hurting actual evolution. We're hurting a chance of someone that could have been the guy that invented the cure for cancer. That might have been black. We're hurting the chance of an a, a Mexican-American who, who might have wrote some incredible script and some, just because you're not having, you're used to having a Latino on the set and because you don't know them. It's all those things. And like I say, if you know us, you'll love us. So that's, that's my, my belief, honestly, is to become more, more of me. And I yeah. want everyone else to do the same thing. In some conversations that I have, uh, for a lot of people, in their point of view, there's, there, they see many Latinos in Hollywood. Yes. Now, you know, of course, uh, they also hear a lot about Latinos in the government. Now, what do you think people should know about Latinos that they don't know? What they don't know is that the Latinos are the future of America. And they're not able to see that. Um, we're the fastest growing demographic. We're all those things. So how well we all have in our future is how well Latinos are educated versus incarcerated will change everything. In California, there's a lot of new jails that have been made. Around the, around the country, we're the most, you know, jailed population in the world. Um, they're building new jails, but how many universities are they building? How many colleges are they building? And then again, you know, we have, we always have money for a, a carrier or a B1 bomber or something like that, but why don't we have money for people to go to school? Because education, you know, uh, I think Gorky, uh, I think uh, a Russian novelist, I think it was Gorky, wrote, uh, when you close a prison door, or no, when you, when you close a, when you close a prison door, uh, you open a, uh, a school door, basically. I, I'm messing this up really horribly. That's how tired I am. <laughs> when you close it, when you close a, a prison door, you, you, you open a, uh, a school door. And the thought is, is that, you know, prison, all that incarceration and holding back people and, and law and order and all that stuff. We're living in a Dickens kind of world now where people look at stuff and go, like now it's an opiate crisis. Oh, it's an opiate crisis. Before it was a crack epidemic. And we had to incarcerate all those black people and stop them and super predators and all this stuff. We're talking, we're going to get them, we're going to get them, stop it. You know, that whole idea. But now when it's white people, it's an opiate emergency. We need to, we need to, because really what the drug problem is, is, is a medical issue. It's not a, a criminal issue. It's a medical problem, but we don't, don't choose to use, deal with it that way. So a lot of this is created by when people look at people that are minorities and see them as n not them, the other, the foreigner, the immigrant person like that. And so they give them those titles and that makes it easy to incarcerate them. I, okay. It's, I did, it came to me right now. It's from Victor Hugo. Victor Hugo wrote, he who opens a school door closes a prison door. He who opens a school door closes a prison. You understand what that means? I just remember that. It came back to me. I just did not have that. I finally hit it. 
Who opens a school door, closes a prison door. So think about that. It's about opportunity. Yeah. Education, you know, education is one of the biggest things I'm about. That's why Latino thought makers, let me show you a t-shirt. Because if you subscribe to my website, I'll... YouTube. YouTube. Right, so, sorry. So, so let me, yeah, let me elaborate on that. So again, um, Anna had shared this link. Let me show this t-shirt. Um, Latin thought makers, they have a YouTube page and we want to add more subscribers. So what we're hoping for you guys to do is, uh, in the description, there's a link to it. Anna had shared it earlier. Um, we want to reach a hundred subscribers so we can now change the name to YouTube slash Latino thought makers. So please share this video. Please let people know. Um, share the link to the YouTube page as well and let people know that, um, that it's going to be great content. Now, explain to people, the Latin thought makers, what your mission on that show is. Well, the, the mission is really simple. is to put a spotlight on people and show – because right now we, we have a real problem in America. We have Trump actually wanting to talk about the immigrants are causing crime, which is not statistically true, and we all know that's not right. But he's actually going to start publicizing um, immigrants that cause crime. You know, and they did that in Nazi Germany, actually, against Jews. So if they're going to publicize how bad we are, supposedly, I just want to publicize how good we are and how human we are and how unique we are and how, how we are the solution. So Latino Thumbmakers is not only entertaining because people see these great you know, conversations I have with people that – are, are friends at this point because a lot of us in Hollywood, especially Latinos, are, we're not with our families. Most of us don't come from Hollywood. And so our Hollywood family becomes really our family. I mean, I, I tell you, um, my wife, when we first came to Hollywood, um, you know, she complained that she didn't have a lot of family here, and it was true. But now I was, we'd hit us one night, we were out with Eddie Olmos, Edward James Olmos, is my kid's godfather. And, uh, we're at having a birthday dinner with him, and it was really just – we went to his house, and we had watched videos. And they're looking after the dog right now because he's filming something. And uh, oh, I just got a view. So I'm just telling the truth. This is really good. So uh, my wife realized that that's, that's our family. He just happens to be famous, but that's really our family and our friends. So a lot of it is the community of feeling that in Hollywood. So I think Latino thought makers, I'm able to, to really show people who we are as a family. You know, we, and, and that's the great thing about it because all these guys have stories. Like Luis Guzman, he did a movie I wrote called Nothing Like the Holidays. Um, you know, uh, Edward James Olmos is my kid's godfather, but he's also a guy that did Latino logs. And so most of these people I've actually worked with. And so it's kind of been a good thing to work with people I know. So the conversations, people always, when they watch them, go, wow, just like I was listening, I was hanging out at the dinner table with you guys and you were just talking. I remember one time I was with, uh, you know, Edward James almost one time and we're talking. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, Jim Morrison was stealing my dance moves. And I go, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, he goes, Jim Morrison was watching his dance moves, right? He would come to the, he'd go where, where Eddie was, was, uh, was was playing right and he would watch eddie dance and eddie's a great dancer and the way he tells it is that yeah he's incredible so jim morris is watching him dance and looking at his moves and and I, i'm i'm thinking you never told him about jim morris so every time i talk to the guy there's always a new person new i hear about <laughs> this new story 
but he really has lived that life. We all have. You know, we forget about it. It's like um, one day I'm, I'm watching, I hung out with Pitbull for a weekend in Miami. I got to hang out with Pitbull for a weekend. And great guy. I mean, really just amazing human being. Just the nicest guy you'll meet. And uh, so I, I tell someone, I'm, I, was, I was hanging out with Pitbull. My kid sees his phone number in my, my book, in my telephone book. And they're like, call a Pitbull, call a Pitbull. <laughs> I'm like, it's probably not even his number anymore. But yeah, what's we, up with that? They always you know, change their numbers. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he has. I haven't, actually I haven't called the number. Maybe he still has it. Some people, I still have my number. You know, some people do. But it's it's the life you live here. It's a very normal life. It's not quite what people imagine. And this is our family and friends. So if I can show people kind of behind the scenes of who we are, in a in a nice, respectful way. I mean, uh, you know, we all. You know, I remember one night I went out with. Uh, Cheech Marin and uh, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo Rivera, Cheech Marin. They're, they're good friends. And so I'm with them in New York, and we're at a club, and I'm hearing them uh, at a dinner. There's a dinner, and they brought a bottle of tequila, and we're doing tequila shots and talking. It's like one of the best conversations I've ever heard. So intelligent. It was like my dinner with Andre, but two Latino guys talking about life in such a cool, unique way. And, I, and you know, I, I, Geraldo Rivera to me was a guy that opened a vault, you know, for uh, Al, Al Capone's vault and found nothing. So right. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't exactly respect the guy. But after hearing him talk, I really started to like him. And I started thinking, that's what I want with Latino thought makers. That after you get to know people and they talk and they relax, you feel you know them. And, and when you know them, you like them. You know, it's, that's really mostly it. If you, it's prejudice comes from the fact that you're ignorant of someone. And so if, if I can do my part to show people Latinos, and what we do and who we are as a people. And I think I'm doing a good thing for all, everyone. And with me, you know, since comedy has always been a part of my life, if I can make people laugh, I can make them think. Hmm. Well, you do. Uh, you do it on a consistent basis, and that's what I think I admire about you. Um, oh, and you. I met you number, a number of years ago. And, I remember. Uh, the Georgia Latino Film Festival. You came up to me. And you asked for my autograph, and I was like, in a second. And then you kept knocking on my head. I said, in a second, all right? You'll get my autograph in a second. And I pushed you, and it got crazy. It was weird. There's a lot of fighting. Well, and yeah, I mean, then. and, and then, then you, when you, you give me the head noogie. That's when I thought you were, yeah. I realized you were kidding. Yeah. And, and we've been friends ever since. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I've, most people, I've, you know, we don't, it's, it's surprising how people think we're going to be a certain way, but we're very, most people in the business that are working are really normal people. I know, well, I know. Is, absolutely. It's just, it's so people don't don't realize. Like I, I got kids, I got a wife. You know, I have the same problems everyone else does, and and you know, but on top of it, I have to work in a very very uh, stressful business. Well, I've had the privilege of working uh, in New York in the film industry for about twenty years, and um, and on a very uh, occasional. Uh, occasion, um, the the actor actress uh, is willing to chill and hang out with the crew, which you know it's a rare thing because they usually yeah. kind of go in their direction. The crew's got to finish, you know, taking down sets or whatever, and um, and you get to feel that that normalcy uh, because you know people who watch the the screen they have this perception, and then you also listen to all the gossip, and and it reinforces that perception. And when you finally get to know people in a in a more personal way, uh, mm -hmm. sitting in a bar, or going out to dinner, or whatever, and you had to get to hear the normal stories, uh, 
it's just normal stories, and it's really uh, awesome. Well, they're, they're, Good. They're human stories. You know what I mean? This Absolutely. thing is like, I can name off some of the best conversations I've had that just happen to have been with people that are famous. But, like, you know, I remember talking to Eric Roberts in, in Cancun. We were doing a, sh- a shoot together. And we just sat there. A chef came in and was cooking us a meal. I don't remember what the, they cooked. I remember how interesting Eric Roberts was, you know, what he talked about. Um, what was thinking in his mind? I mean, to me, I'm, I'm fascinated by humans. I'm just, I just think, you know, humans are, we're such fascinating creatures, you know, that when I get a chance to interview someone, I get to ask questions because I'm very curious. Like I, I watch, you know, my family always laughs at me because I love this wicked tuna show, wicked tuna, because I love to fish. <laughs> no one would think I would love to fish, you know, but I, I love it. And I love to cook, but, People don't know those things, but if you if you really ask someone about who they are, people really want to explain themselves. They want to be understood, and a lot of times when you interview people and I get a chance to interview people, um, they really desperately want to be understood because that's the connection we all need. So, did you hear that the background? No, what did she say? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I was just I was wondering if you were hearing the noise. Is, it, is there a noise in the audio? No. Okay. It's good. No, I don't, I don't hear any noise. Do, do people like the audio? Is it okay? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. I see Dolores worked in that, that scene right there. Uh-huh. She was great to interview. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm really enjoying about the um, the. And I just spoke to Isai last week, uh, thanks yeah. to you, as a matter of fact. Yes. And um, I, I'm trying to now... Uh, it's fascinating to hear their stories uh, that you're able to pull out of them on stage. Um, yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to have a conversation with you, uh, you know, because, again, you read the book, you, you, uh, you know, look up stories and articles and stuff like that, and there's a certain type of image. And, and same thing with Isai and stuff like that. And, and you then have just a normal conversation. It's fantastic. So I do appreciate you uh, coming uh, on the show and uh, sharing uh, a little bit of yourself. Um, what's going on next with Latino Thoughtmakers? Well, Latino Thoughtmakers is going to be at Haku, which is Hispanic Association of College Universities, October 30th. Now it's going to have me and Chich Moran. And I, I, I still need one one female celebrity. I can wear a wig. I can wear a wig. Okay, I'll, I'll have you. But I might get calls from the women. So, <laughs> I, I don't think you can tell a Latino story. I'm telling the, the, Latino, the Latina story as well. So I'm really conscious about that because, you know, I have two daughters and, uh, you, you, you can't tell a Latino story without women. So I got to have a woman on that panel, but that'll come on October 30th and I'm starting a radio show on, uh, KPCC, KPFK, Pacific Radio. K. No. Our first freeze. <laughs> Rick, I don't know if you can hear me. But you are frozen. He is frozen. Pleasure to extend a warm welcome to you. Don't miss the Georgia Latino Film Festival.
never been to the Georgia Latino Film Festival, you don't know what you're missing. Perfect record. I came here to find you. And instead, you found me. Are you gonna let her stay here? Yes. Oh, you are? You're my father. You are the guide. El Coyote. But you're scaring away my customers. I'm not leaving until you take me there. I have more house. Men, women, and children want to escape this shit. Your apps you take. What I do know. Wow. About your maldito. Um, there is a darkness around him. You guys, can I bring something for my glasses? This is something very strange. Clean them? Like Windex? Do they always tell you those things? She's alive. Yeah. So my mother but I can't I see after. Tell my son, my wife. Sometimes like they know me. These people need to go, Miguel. You need to take them. You show up in a car accident, all this, you want to help I'm here to help. And you need the help. You came across a dead man yesterday. You're sitting next to a dead man today, and you'll be doing the same thing tomorrow. They call you maldito. The only luck you have is bad. person I've ever found alive. And why would I do that for you? Getting out of, out of this country. I'm leaving. You think about this. The only one he ever lost was himself. Oh, look who's here. <laughs> I'm back. Oh, man. I am so have, sorry I mean, for whatever I, I had my happened. tech support here. It was crazy. Crazy. <clears throat> so uh, yeah, is that, that's the boatman. You know who stars in that? Oscar Torres. Yes, I know Oscar. He's been asking me to see that movie since I just I saw it. So we'll have to have a special presentation. To... <laughs> yes, I did. Oh man! So uh, all right. So I mean, I want. I mean, I before I even forget, I wanted to appreciate you for coming on board um, and, oh. and talking to us. Um, and before any internet hiccups again, is there anything else you want to promote? I know we want to promote the YouTube page. Um, we were talking about, uh, California and the show you're doing there. Is there anything else that's going on in your wonderful life? Well, you know, what I'm doing nowadays is, is, uh, you know, CBS diversity showcases right now we're auditioning people. So I'll see a lot of people. And then, uh, more Latino thought makers. We're going to, we'll be in Kenyatta College. We're going to be back at Cal State LA. We're going to be at the Haku. Uh, more and more shows. And I also get asked to speak a lot, so I'm sure I'll be on the road speaking more. But go to the YouTube channel for Latino thought makers and subscribe to us because I need to get that up. But um, I've said that again. But on the whole, um, a lot of good stuff. The radio show coming out. Uh, 
it's 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 good you know with, with i'm mexican-american we we're a hard-working people so for me i'm used to having more than one job oh, the <laughs> I, just, I, I hear them in the background it's kind of funny. i hear the background yeah that's my uh, wife and her sister they're uh doing a lot of work <laughs> so hearing it well yeah. I want to allow you to get back to your life, your family. Uh, I want to say so much thank, thank you. you so much. Uh, again, thank you for the George Latino Film Festival. Uh, thank you, The Lounge yeah. Network. And thank you, Rick Nahara. Uh, so, um, I'll be coming out to the Georgia Latino Film Festival, it looks like. What was that? They're trying to get me out there. So I'm, I may be coming out to the Georgia Latino Film Festival. Excellent. That would be awesome. I would love to see you there. So, And then we can probably do, do a little live thing. <laughs> A little yeah, bit more personal. We're like, we get more tech support. That's all we need. But thank you, everyone. And follow me at Rick Nahara on Twitter and all that stuff. And check out my website. And just good night, everybody. LatinoThoughtMakers.com. Right. And hopefully I'll be, I'll be doing something with you on that. So that will be awesome as well. So thank you, everybody who's watching. Thank you, guys, who have shared. And thank you, uh, all those who will watch the replay in the next couple of days. Um, if it's great, as great as uh, Isai is, it'll be fantastic, and hopefully we'll double and triple that uh, even uh, as well. So, and uh, don't forget go to the YouTube page. Please subscribe, and um, and that's it, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night. Now, my, I'm losing my voice now. <laughs> Thanks, Carlos. All right, have a great night. Take care, guys. Good evening. <laughs>